Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 390. I don't know why I said it that way. <laughs> this is up here. Who knows anything? Who knows anything anymore? Jeremy, you hear the, the, the voice in the distance there of one Matt. Hey, what's going on? It's the DC Comics podcast. We get together, we talk about the books we read this week. Coming up on this week's show, we have Titans Beast World issue 4, Action Comics 1061, Batman and Robin issue 5, Green Lantern issue 7, Outsiders issue 3, Matt, because he's a masochist, decided to read Wesley Dodd's The Sandman issue 4, mm-hmm. so he'll be talking about that. And I've got a Patreon book, I'll be talking about a classic comic of Batman and the Outsiders issue 10. So that is what's coming up on this show, and because of the way the week's worked out, it's just a little too early for solicits, so we'll be doing solicits mm-hmm. uh, next week. Oh, I assume anyway, unless they hold them for some reason, but right. I'd expect them next week. I can't imagine. Can't imagine they wouldn't be out next week. Nah, I doubt it. So, uh, how's your week, Matt? What's what's, what's been happening? Pretty, pretty good. Uh, pretty quiet for the most part. So, um, yeah. How was yours? Yeah, it's okay. I've been keeping up with movies still. I've been getting whiplash from going from <laughs> good to bad movies. Yeah, your your last four you posted were. Uh... <laughs> That's quite hilarious. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to be fair, I, you know, I, I had a a work-related reason for watching Mac and Me. It was for a show. I didn't just uh-huh. choose to watch Mac you've, and Me. You've seen it before that, though, right? I mean, when I was like six or seven. Okay. Like, I, don't okay. remember, I didn't remember that well. Gotcha. Uh, there, was like ten, was... there was like tinges of nostalgia of like deja vu yeah. memories coming to me yeah. as I was watching it. But I couldn't I, have told I, you much about it before I watched it. I remember it. The, the McDonald's scene very vividly. I remember the ending. And then, of course, the, the, the scene that Paul Rudd always brings on Conan. Uh, Do you know yeah, that but... dance scene at McDonald's is very famous for mm-hmm. being this stupid bad scene in its product yep. placement and its mm-hmm. most potent and all that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. There is no reason why there's a dance uh, starting. I mean, I think David pointed out there's like a sign in the background that mentions there's a, like a dance competition, mm-hmm. but I don't understand why there's a dance competition happening at McDonald's. You'd think McDonald's was the happiest place on earth in this movie, based <laughs> on what you see when they walk in there. Everyone's dancing and laughing yeah. and having a... It's, they literally walk into a commercial, because it's, it's got that weird yep. advert logic of everything's super happy, but nothing, mm-hmm. it's never really this way, obviously, no. but this is how adverts sell you these things. And like, you know, adverts for Coke, for example, uh-huh. will make you think that you're in a dream floating when you take a sip of coca-cola and the, or, the sparkles fall from our, the skies yeah. around you or that polar bears are very friendly and cuddly uh <laughs> you know definitely should not yeah uh, i feel and, like you uh, want that one to be true though i i do um again if not friend why friend shaped um <laughs> but but yeah no i just i remember that i remember the you know they have mac dressed up as a teddy bear and he's dancing around and it's very very vivid, but nothing else in that movie at all. Uh, in fact, the ending of it, I was shocked to learn as an adult, is as dark as it is. Uh, it, was, it was actually even darker than the original mm-hmm. cut. They had to edit yeah. it down to uh, let the, for the MPAA to let them put yeah. it out. So, so I didn't remember any of that, but uh, I remember the you know the ending with, with Max people showing up very, very vividly. What do you mean showing up? They're in the whole movie. <laughs> 
Ah, see, tells you how much yeah. I remember. Um, uh, you only need to watch it again. That's what we're learning. You have to revisit I, Mac and I Me. I think I'm good. I'm actually going to find out if my if if my wife has seen it. Um, and here, have you ever seen an ET ripoff? Actually, what, what you'll find interesting watching it now is you'll Alan Silvestri did the music, mm-hmm. and you'll hear that he's just reusing a lot of his Predator cues. <laughs> and Mac and Me is really funny when you start Beautiful. noticing it. Beautiful. Uh, so. Um, I, I won't say any more because it is uh, yeah. Extra Reels is a Patreon show that me yeah. and David do once a month where we do some of the worst movies of all time that's next month's episode so uh, if, if you want what, to what other movies that. have you done on there? oh let's see we've done about, a, about well, I don't know, seven or eight now uh, we've done two Neil Breen movies uh, who is you know the, the auteur he's the Christopher Nolan of one out of tens uh, he <laughs> we did Double Down, which was his first movie, and we did I Am Here Now, which was his second movie. So we're just going. To, we did those like six months apart. So we'll probably yeah. do his third movie in about six months' time. Uh, but we've done some really fun ones. Miami Connection is mm-hmm. a blast. It's well worth watching. I, I thoroughly recommend it. Uh, That's De- the ninjas in Miami, right? Yeah, yeah. It's just like a band that's also ninjas or martial artists oh god damn you love the 80s <laughs> uh, which is notable because it's, you know it's this movie where there's, there's constant fighting and killing throughout the whole thing and uh, when the movie ends it goes to a, a black screen before the credits start there's a there's a little message that comes up saying only through the elimination of violence can we achieve world peace and I'm like I've just watched an 80 minute movie where everyone's kicked each other to solve yep. problems Yep. There, there was a movie that I feel was, was satirizing that. It was called the FP. But instead of fighting, it was gangs using Dance Dance Revolution to, <laughs> to solve their problems. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a satire. It's meant to be bad. Um, so quite, quite funny, though. But it, it, it has a similar message towards the end. Oh, we've uh, done, we've done uh, 12 of these, buddy. I thought we'd done like eight. Oh. Wow. Jeez. What? Oh, it's, yeah, because we counted the snowman, which was bad enough to be classed as an extra reels, even though it wasn't a planned as an extra reels. Yeah. That's what it was. Yeah, I've heard heard not good things about that one. Oh, we did the Steven Seagal directed on Deadly Ground. That was uh, that was that was worth yeah. something. Um, we did Christian Mingle the movie. That's not real. You're making things up. No, it's Lacey Chabert from Mean Girls. Oh my goodness. What happened to her career? She, she, you see, she's in her 30s, she's trying to date, but she can't find anyone. So she fakes being a Christian to oh, join Christian God. Mingle. And <laughs> meets the man of her dreams, but later on must confess that she's not actually Christian. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I actually didn't know Christian Mingle was a real thing. I thought it was just made up yeah. for the movie and then no, found out it's, otherwise. Uh, it's a real one. But there's a couple of Je- Miami connections worth watching. We did a movie called Gone with the Pope, which I actually quite enjoyed. It's not a great movie. Uh, Gone with the Pope. Let me see where that's at. <laughs> and right then Dangerous Men is like an absolute tour de force of just nonsensical decisions, which I would happily recommend as well. Uh, we've done some painful movies. We've done some watchable movies. Honestly, Mac and Me kind of falls in the middle where I actually think yeah. it's more watchable than some of the ones we've done. Because <laughs> it's still a studio movie with a budget mm-hmm. and this you know it's, it's bad it's really bad but it's yeah it's a very watchable very bad so 
you know, it's a, it's a little thing. So that's a... We, we, we have two monthly shows on Patreon. We have that, and then we have Criterion Cut, which is the opposite, where we're doing Criterion Collection movies. <laughs> See, I just found, found the polar opposites and made them work. Hmm. For sure. So, uh... Yeah. Oh well, there you go. That's yeah. That, that was my week. I watched Mac and Me. Uh, mm-hmm. I, w- I watched a lot of wrestling and hockey. Fell asleep on the couch numerous times. It's it's been yeah. Winter not treating me so well. So uh, the the now my cold is gonna be different from your guys' cold, but it, it's been in, in the twenties here, which I don't know if that converts in your guys's. But I mean that is negative. That is quite cold. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's so, still cold. Uh, that's if yeah. anything, you might even be going colder than I usually go. Yeah, it's been it's been not so fun to take the dogs out at night. So I get cozy after dinner with a blanket on the couch, and before you know it, I'm zonked out. Uh, but we did start Only Murders in the Building season three. So yeah, that's um, actually as cold as it gets here, but it's rare to go that cold. So you're wow. If anything, wow. like I would say, most winter nights, I'm only going down to like. Uh, let me convert this for you. I'd go down to mm-hmm. maybe maybe the upper twenties is kind of the normal winter night here. Yeah. So when I when I woke up to play football this morning, it was 30, 31 degrees. So it was actually below freezing for us because thirty two is our freezing. So I, I I waited, drank a lot of hot coffee before I went out. So the the fact that it's colder here than it was in your place is befuddling yeah that's much uh, worse than it typically gets you're, you're much further north <laughs> like uh, i expect that in yours i mean our winters do get cold like the desert does get cold but this is the coldest it's been in a minute so where it's like yeah. uncomfortably cold i mean don't get me <laughs> yeah, wrong when, it feels cold in the winter here but it's actually quite mild like it's not compared to canada which gets yeah ridiculously freezing uh one of the local wrestlers i know here in town She's up in uh, Alberta. I can't remember if she's in Calgary or Edmonton, and it's minus twenty three. Um, so mm. no, no, thank you. I'm glad that's not us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Wait, Fahrenheit? Yes. What was minus twenty three Fahrenheit? Minus thirty Celsius. Holy shit! I can't, yeah. even, I can't even imagine what that feels no. like. No, I, I've been in minus four Fahrenheit, and it's not fun. It feels like every breath you take is stabbing you. Mm. You know, because it's that cold. Um, yeah. So no, nothing. And they live there, and they live and they go about like it's nothing. They're they're they're, they're a different, different type. Yeah, they're built mm-hmm. different. I, I, yep. I can't even imagine what that feels like. That's uh, no. that's shocking. Uh, no. <laughs> we yeah. should we should make Connor go deal with it though. I uh, I think he would flourish. Uh, He'd flourish as long as there's no sun, because all that amount of sun uh, on that cold, he might implode. <laughs> oh dear um hey anyway shall we shall we do your favorite segment of the show matt we, the, we should the comic you, you had me looking 10. up mac and me to see what other uh and the fact that there was supposed to be a sequel is hilarious oh it ends with uh the yeah. end question mark uh-huh. <laughs> like yes it is no yeah. one's going to want any more of this so looking to see who directed it and it's like oof he's done absolutely nothing <laughs> Absolutely nothing I, I recognize. Uh, I don't think so. most people in the movie went on to do much else, to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah, let, let's let's figure out what was number one for the comicsology 
Well, R.A.P. What are we calling this now? <laughs> the the Kindle Comics release chart. Ugh. I know, it doesn't sound as good, does it? Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll it Tuesday because they separate them by Tuesday and Wednesday, so we'll look at DC's mm-hmm. day first. What do you think number one was, Matt? I'm going to guess it's Titans Beast World. Nope. What? <laughs> wow. Is it Action Comics? It is Action Comics. Wow. People, mean... people showed up for a new run Jason... by Jason Aaron. Yeah, Jason Aaron sells. Oh. Uh, two is Titans Beast World, three is Green mm-hmm. Lantern, four is Batman and Robin, five is Outsiders, six is Wesley Dodds the Sandman, seven is Fables, eight is Speed Force, and we're basically out of DC books by that point. So next yeah. is Fafrid and the Great Mazur Collection. I don't know what that is. And then Helsing Volume 3, second hmm. edition. I don't know what those are, but clearly there's not a lot of DC books out this week because even the, yeah. they can't even get to ten. Uh, so we'll we'll leave it there. Very good. Wednesday, Ma, you got a guess for Wednesday? So there's there's two I could go with because there's two new number ones. Yeah, one of them is an X book, one of them's a Spider book. So I'm gonna go just because it's the one that I heard more buzz about this week. I'm gonna guess Ultimate Spider-Man number one. That's correct. Ultimate Spider-Man number <laughs> one. By Jonathan Hickman, the ultimate yep. relaunch, uh, mm-hmm. taking that top spot. Uh, two is Rise of Powers of X, issue one. That was my second. That was the other book. Yep. Uh, number three is Transformers four. So mm-hmm. fair enough. That's actually quite good for a non-Marvel book. Yeah, uh, I mean but... uh, that's that's Daniel Warren Johnson. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, then we got four's Wolverine, five's Avengers. Six is Thunderbolts, which is just a miniseries. Uh, mm-hmm. Seven is Giant Size Spider-Man. And then number eight is Star Wars 42. Number nine is She-Hulk. And number 10 is Miles Morales Spider-Man. So, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still Marvel-dominated, but yeah, Transformers yeah. getting quite high there, surprisingly. I guess uh, big things are happening. Yeah. Is there a new character so. in there or something? Oh, there's a Rebel Moon comic starting this week. Oh, dear. Oof. That is that is the most vapid, like, corporate, we just want to start a franchise with no ideas uh, yeah. ever. There's going to be a comic, there's going to be a tie-in this and a tie-in that, and it probably wants to be a video game, but I doubt they'll get one. <laughs> Very good take to long to make. Yeah. Uh, so... You know, as evident by uh, Suicide Squad Kill the Justice League coming out next mm-hmm. month and it chasing trends that were dated like years ago at this point. So yeah. no no one's excited about it. Everyone's just kind of made their mind up. Uh, I'll put it this way, Matt. The previews, hands-on previews came out this past week for Suicide Squad Kill mm-hmm. the Justice League that... Um, Typically, these types of previews where your IGNs and your game spots will do these mm-hmm. previews, they're always kind of positive, even when the game turns yeah. out not to be that great. They're kind of like playing softball with the the, the publishers to mm-hmm. keep, keep, you know, keep what everyone happy. Stuff? Yeah. yeah. The, some of these were just negative, which yeah. almost never happens. They were just, nah, this isn't very good. Like, oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. You know, you know, that's it. But I'll find the one positive in this is that Maybe the cross branding is the reason Samoa Joe is now the AEW champion. Um, so I'll, I'll take that. You know, sorry, sorry, the game's terrible, but uh, <laughs> King mean, Shark has the title. I so. think it's just a right time, right place thing because uh, mm-hmm. 
MJF needed time off. Yeah. Uh, Joe was just the right opponent. I think that's really... Yeah. I think he lucked out just to being the right guy at the time. I, well, I'm glad, you know. But I know next... next. I think it starts next week. They're doing cross-promoting with the Suicide Squad video game. That's because uh, it's on the Warner Brothers own yep. network. Yep. Yep, yep. So... Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. There was a... I don't know if you saw any clips from it, because I know you're kind of... Uh, not out, out on wrestling, you have other things going on. Um, but they, they did a Batman thing with Hook, and it was very funny, where Samoa Joe is running down everybody in the ring, and he looks up and sees a light, and they have Hook's name, like in a bat uh, symbol, like uh, the bat signal, up on the ceiling. It was very funny uh, for him to come out and, and go nose-to-nose with Samoa Joe. Wait, is he, is he challenging for the world title? He's, he's challenging because he's 28-1. and uh, so, yep. and that's a match I want to see. So, let's uh, go. I don't see him winning it, but there'll be an yeah. interesting f- the match, presumably. Yeah, I mean, kid's got to take his lump sometime, right? So, uh, send Hook, and they, they, they're they sending him for sure. But yeah, if, if you guys want to go and take a look at that, it's it's very funny with the bat signal, with the Hook shining up, and the way that Joe sells it is very, very over-the-top comic booky in the best way, so... Okay, so it's not uh, cringe, though, because that sounds like it could be cringe. No, no, because it's very tongue-in-cheek where, you know... Okay. Yeah. Because the only other example I have of the bat signal being used in a mm-hmm. wrestling context oh. was when the Ultimate Warrior did it in WCW yeah. in 1998. No, that's cringe. Anything with that guy was cringe, though. Uh, <laughs> yeah. This, this, because they were in dailies on top of it, so it was, it was very much a for-the-hardcore kind of, uh. you know, fan base... And again, I don't think anybody could have sold the the look the way that Joe did. Uh, but but yes. All right. Well, there we go. But by the way, this Rebel Moon books looks just like any any just random book. There's nothing that is standing mm. out. Like had I not known it was a tie-in, right? I just would have kept scrolling and not even went to go look at it. So, um, yeah. That's uh, that's a, that's also uh, speaking of that that fra- I guess franchise now that there's a comic of it. Uh, we went to the mall last night just to walk around after dinner because where we ate was there, and at the I think it was Hot Topic, just stacks upon stacks of Rebel Moon shirts. So like they really went in and tried to make this a thing, uh, and it's just not. I don't think it's clicked with anybody. So. Cause it's shit. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's really, really, really yeah, shit. But sometimes when stuff is bad, it finds a certain audience, and you know what I mean. And it's like, who's this for? But clearly, this. But on all fronts, so like the comic, the shirts, the. It's because like the the bad stuff that tends to still find an audience is because at least it's coming from someone who thinks like. So someone who is genuinely tried to make something, even mm-hmm. if they're the reason why the room, right, to take a bad movie right. as an example. That's fun because he genuinely thinks he was making a masterpiece. But mm-hmm. Rebel Moon is just such a Frankenstein's monster of just st- stolen things from other mm-hmm. movies that there's nothing in it to be excited or passionate about. There's not even something silly right. in it to be like, oh, it's... this is at least fun because it's got a crazy energy. There's no energy. There's no ideas. Right. It's it's just Sounds Zack like Snyder just... parody. Right. <laughs> yeah, it was like a, a crass money grab, right? There's no sincerity to it. Nah. Uh, so, 
Well, part two is coming in March. Can't wait. I believe you when you said that. <laughs> you really uh, can't wait for it. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, maybe, maybe I can't wait just so it's over with and I don't have to deal with it anymore. And it's only two parts, though, right? Well, that was one movie that he... he right. He's so bad at, it, like, structuring and whatever that he just split it in two. And you can tell, like, the, fir the first movie, like, there's no build-up almost to it just suddenly ending. <laughs> it's, uh, especially when he's just, you know, he's just doing Seven Samurai in space. Right. Like, we know what the structure of this movie is. So you get to the end of that first part, and it's like, oh, well, I did... I guess we're just done now, even though we've not actually got to the part where we're protecting the village. All right. <laughs> gotcha. So now we have to protect the village. Yes. Ugh. Wow. Yes. I'm glad I never have to see this, so we're good. It's uh, it's not even the first time Seven Samurai's been done in space. I believe Battle mm -hmm. Beyond the Stars was a Seven Samurai ripoff in space mm -hmm. uh, by Roger Corman. And say what you want about Corman, I bet it was better than Rebelman. Ugh. Say what you will about Corman as a t-shirt. <laughs> All right, let's talk about comics, shall yep. we? Uh, I, I do wonder which, how much of the audience, when we're talking about some random movie thing like that, yeah. <laughs> at the start of a show, like, just get to the comics. Just get to the comics. Anyway. Well, we have to, there's only, you know, four or five comics plus the Patreon. So we got to pad this out a little bit, guys. So bear with us. <laughs> That was, you know, we were catching up. This is, you know, this is the main time we see each other each I, week. Yeah, I don't get to talk to Pete that much on stuff. Um, so to, to watch him just go go after things sometimes. When it's something that I don't like or have no care about, it's hilarious. When it's something I do care about, it hurts a little. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I should, yeah, I should check your letterbox and see what uh, what you've rated highly recently. See if there's anything, any juicy stuff that I can tear to shreds. No, because we even lined up on bottoms, which again, I was I, don't know if... I was pleasantly surprised by bottoms. I was not yeah. expecting to like it. But I didn't. Every time I see stuff, I, I like the the rating because it is out of five stars, so it is a little bit different. Um, anytime we line up on something like that, I start to to worry about one of us. Either you're coming down to my level, or I'm against all odds jumping up to your level. So you know. Uh, but yeah, no, I've I've been not out on movies, but a lot of stuff I don't think you've seen. You know, like Iron Claw. Although, would you give Oppenheimer? Is uh, that five? Well, on Letterboxd, it would have been four and a half. Oh, that, oh, damn it. I did too. Oh, see. Yeah, okay. Well, we're lining up. I haven't seen Blue Beetle. I've got a feeling I wouldn't agree with your eight out of ten, but uh, still... Yeah, don't worry. I'll I'll find something to to rip you mm -hmm. apart for. Oh, oh, actually, hon, nine out of ten for Violet Nights a bit. Violet Nights great. It's all right. It's, it's a fun that's, enough time for what it is. That's, but that's that's, that's that's more that's more of an emotional uh, rating than you know. <laughs> right. God, when it's revealed why he's Santa, I fist pumped in the theater. Ah, uh, that movie's just mat porn. That's all that is. It's one one hundred percent. You need David Harbour and Santa fighting with a hammer, and there's going to be an homage to Home Alone. So yeah, it's a solid seven. I I had fun with it. Solid seven. <laughs> yeah. Uh... All right. Anyway, let's get to the comics. Uh, Titans Beast World issue four. Tom Taylor rating with Lucas Meyer on the art. 
So, yeah, we're back to the main Beast World book. Mm-hmm. We've got basically two things this issue breaks down into, I would say, is you've got the stuff at the end, of course, what, mm-hmm. what Waller's game plan is, which has a big dramatic ending. Uh, there's a little tease at that at the start with uh, Peacemaker grabbing uh, Chunk, is the name he goes by usually, right? Yeah, um, and I feel like I'm familiar with him, but I don't remember why. I don't remember where I've seen him before. Oh, he's from Flash. He's, he's from... Yeah, yeah, uh... yeah. But I is he from Wally's era? Yeah, like, it's, it's just Wally's era from, f- Flash, yeah. From Wade? Or uh, John's? Maybe both. I can't, okay. re- I can't remember. Uh, but yeah. I think he was definitely in Wade's, but he may have been in John's as well. But he was he's, okay. he's, a, he's a Flash character. Yeah. Um, but Peacemaker shoots some animals that are chasing him, and then he's like, you're welcome, and Chunk's mm-hmm. like, that, that was, was my, my son. son. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, a bit of a bit of a comically dark opening. I mean, and it's on par for Peacemaker. Like, and again, the way that Lucas Meyer draws him, it's very much John Cena, right? Oh, so yeah, you can yeah. hear it I, in the show voice. I certainly wasn't know? complaining. This is just kind of a tease because mm-hmm. it sort of indicates that Amanda Waller's got a plan, but we don't know what yep. yet. Uh, but the bulk of the issue in the middle, though, is dealing with the fact that Giganta who was mm-hmm. feeling with dealing with the animals. She wasn't even doing anything bad, but she, she gets large because she's dealing with the animals. Yep. And sure enough, some of the spores, some of the garrow spores get inside her mouth and she turns into a kaiju-sized bear. I feel like Matt probably enjoyed this issue. Yep, yep. Um, well, it has, it has for, in, in typical Tom Taylor fashion, for every big, like, hell yeah moment there's also an oh no and this one hit both of them for me oh yeah there's a lot of oh no towards the end for sure but yeah yeah. so this this matches its emotional highs with its you know emotional i guess lows you would say um because when you say peaks and valleys it seems like the valleys are are negative but they're not it's just you know breaks in the story uh for for you know um narrative things to happen but yeah kaiju giganta bear <laughs> breaks in Sorry. the story for narrative things to narrative story man that yeah, sense made know, no sense i was waiting for you to interrupt and keep going but i had to keep talking so <laughs> that, that was me if you want me to start talking and stop talking that's how it works <laughs> yeah but usually you interrupt me <laughs> so, yeah but only wait, because so, we're on skype and the timing's yeah. weird and it's hard to yeah. judge you know yeah. times usually, Usually you interrupt me to, to bring me back in. Like I'm a, like I'm a blind dog going off the path. No, I was watching you crash and burn there and it was yep. it was it was glorious to behold. So yeah, so so there's some nice art here of big giganta bear mm-hmm. you know, smashing buildings. So Oracle's like, hey shit, Ivy Town's in trouble. All available heroes get to Ivy Town right now. So, you know, a bunch of heroes go swooping in via boom tubes, uh, Superman, John Kent uh flies in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep wanting to call him Superboy, but only just to distinguish him from his dad, who's also around. Because right. it's you know, but I mean, I feel like we just call him Electric Superman now, right? Like, oh yeah, we could do that, yeah. Uh, know. but you know, it's nice. I like that that page, the full page spread of John arriving, where he's just mm-hmm. looking up at the destruction, and it is like a, a kaiju movie with the, yeah. the bear just he's toppled some building, or she, I should say, she has she. toppled some buildings over. Um. Also, the the irony of that it is Ivy Town, which is home to the Atom, right? Mm. Who's a hero known for getting small? Is, is Giganta's there, and you know, uh, is destroying things by being big. 
Uh, yeah. It's another, it's another uh, Tom Taylor special. So Nightwing dishes out some orders, Swamp Thing's there. Swamp Thing tries to hold up some of the buildings with some big mm-hmm. vines, uh, whilst the Titans evacuate while he's trying to run around doing the evacuations. Mm-hmm. Um, and John gets backhanded by the bear so hard that he's flying towards a building. And this is actually a really good little example of how Taylor does a good job of making big deals out of these little moments and making them feel mm-hmm. like they matter. Because as he's flying through the air, the narration talks about how John can tell that what his tra- trajectory is and he can't mm-hmm. stop because he's still in the middle of like flying back from being mm-hmm. hit. But he knows that he's about to crash into a building where there's innocent civilians and he can't do anything about it. And the narration pointing that out with the art of John looking scared because he knows he can't stop himself from hitting this mm-hmm. building is a really great little moment. And obviously, like, Wally uh, sort of shows up right after and says, no, I've already evacuated everyone, they're yep. fine. But the idea of him being scared for that split second, just for that half page, mm-hmm. I thought really humanized the moment of uh, the, the, you know, the, the, the potential collateral damage as these right. heroes are being flown around. Well, and, and, it, and it shows, like, too, the, the heroic aspect of it, that John wants to stop, but he can't, right? It's out of his hands. You know, uh, so it's not like he's just recklessly going in there. Uh, but it's that on that page after when uh, Wally has him, says that he cleared the building where um, the narrator says, you know, the problem with Super Sight is you can see everything, the pain, the people crying for help, the bodies, the grieving. And it just really drives home that, too. You know, like, yeah, when we think of Super Sight, we think, you know, Superman's, uh, you know, scanning the city for people who need help. But. It's also, you're also subject to the after effects too. You know, it's not something that these guys can just turn off. Yeah, so he electric blows up. He gets motivated while he gives him mm-hmm. a little pep talk. And he basically lifts up the bear. Well, he, him and Starfire. Starfire sort of Starfire, lifts up, yep. pulls the bear up from the top while he pushes from the bottom. So we get, the, basically the idea is, is they want to make a big boom tube to get the bear away from civilization. Mm-hmm. But they ca- if they can't make a big enough boom tube in this middle of the city because it might suck in like half of the, of the yeah right, people of the buildings town. whatever, so they need to get him up in the air. So they they do. Cyborg makes a big boom tube and drops the bear in a baseball field. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, what happens here is that the spores actually start coming out of Giganta, realizing that she's defeated, mm-hmm. and Starfire freaks out and it's like, oh shit, are they going to get Starfire? Are they going to get John? And then John just like his electric powers just sort of kick in and he just fries them all before they can get close to them. So it's uh, a really, yeah. Um, Meyer kills that one because with the colorist, cause it's, mm. it's John and Starfire, right? And he's all blue and she's of course for orange. And that whole page is just contrasting colors of blues and orange and purple. Well, you remember that time in the two thousands where every single movie poster was a <laughs> mixture of blue and orange. That's true. <laughs> uh, but it just looks, and he looks like, you know, He's at a diagonal too, which really makes him pop in the frame. You know, uh, draws your eye to the whole thing. Yeah, he almost uh, looks intimidating mm-hmm. <laughs> in that panel, actually. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Giganta is back to being human or meta, at least again. Yeah. <laughs> so she's 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 back into her normal form, but she's yeah. still giant. But I do appreciate that it takes a full page spread after this, showing that you know they still need to help the mm-hmm. civilians. Swamp Thing's still holding up buildings. We've got uh, paramedics and firefighters running around with the Titans in here now. So it's just, it really sells the, the chaos that's happening all over the world. Um, this was just a fun idea. It's like, okay, mm-hmm. you got Giganta, you've got a character who gets large. What if she turns into an animal when she's large? So 
we effectively get half of an issue which is a kaiju disaster for them to deal mm-hmm. with and it's a really fun time the art's really good and the tone is definitely more serious than because we also have you know justice league and kong godzilla going on but that tone's completely different yeah that's just more know? about fun whereas this feels like yeah oh no people might die here this, i mean not, this, not the heroes but like civilians no. might die here right and so just the fact that taylor's able to make all of that work and it still feels it doesn't feel goofy or anything uh it's it's him working at his top yeah for sure and uh, I like this next bit actually because it, mm-hmm. it sort of tied it into continuity in a way that I wasn't expecting where mm-hmm. Sergeant Steel ends up on the news talking about how uh, the Titans are protecting their own we have to deal with this ourselves because they're not they're basically Sergeant Steel saying we have to kill that big star and the Ooh. Titans are like no 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 we're going to protect Arrow uh, mm-hmm. so because um, t- the hope is of course that it'll turn them back somehow or they'll fix them um, but I appreciated this because it was like, oh, it's not directly referencing the Wonder Woman comic, but the fact that he's in this position of power is a tie to that that book because that's Wonder Woman. Oh. The book put him in that position. Yeah, and I feel like the the it's a slight tip of what's going on because he's part of the Bureau of Sovereignty. It says, and we know that the Sovereign is who yeah, Diana yeah. is going up against. So is this a is this you know a shade of things to come? I, I, think, I think it shows the organization that he's been put in mm-hmm. charge of in Wonder Woman. Yep. Um, so when I said there was no direct reference, I just meant they never brought it up in like dialogue. You know, no one mentions Wonder Woman yeah, unless you're no, on the Amazons. It, it's not uh, the AXE, right? Because you couldn't have the Amazon people coming after the superheroes. I mean, actually, I don't know see why not. There would there'd be a lot of crossover, but it is. It seems like it's a new thing that he's uh, the head of. Yeah, it, it feels it's... to go alongside it quite well, though. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, uh, so there's a really sweet moment here where Dick's like, no, we're, we're going to protect, we, we have to protect the people, but we're also going to protect Garfield. And yep. uh, there's a little moment here where Raven looks over at him all sort of like concerned in her eyes and says, even though he could destroy us all. And Dick says, yes. And she just says, thank you. I thought that was a really sweet moment, mm-hmm. um, especially since they kind of set this up in the, like uh, Sergeant Steel's rant on the news. He actually kind of, like shames them a little bit by saying yeah. oh they're not killing Gar because one of the titans is sleeping with him and like point mm-hmm. I mean why he knows why anyone knows that Raven and uh, Beast Boy are in a relationship yeah. in the outside world I'm not sure but he does so he mm-hmm. sort of like he says it as if he's on like some gossip TV show uh, mm-hmm. and saying oh they're only not doing this because one of them's shacking up with them kind of thing it, well, really- not just that he refers to her as a demon too. Yeah, yeah. On top of it, you know, it says, you know, there's a, but they have a demon in their ranks who has been sleeping with the monster, and it's completely dehumanizing them, right? Yeah, it's demeaning. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's a sort of thing where you could easily take out the word demon and just replace yep. it with slut, and it would work yep. in the real world. But here, of mm-hmm. course, we're, we're in DC, so we've got all these other right. things going on. But uh, yeah, it's very much about shaming the Titans and trying to bring them down. And mm-hmm. Dick's like saying, no, we're going to protect him just like everyone else. And that's what takes out the last part of the issue, which is Waller's plan, is they've got Chunk, and this is super dark. She's basically just going to use a Justice League teleporter, which they've hijacked. That's what what she's brought Lex Luthor in to tinker with. And Mm -hmm. Lex, to his credit, says, I'm not okay with this plan. I'm kind of a good guy now. But Waller plays the, we're saving the world. She plays that (laughs) card. Kind of is doing a lot of heavy lifting with Lex, though. <laughs> like, I'm kind ass. of a good guy. Yeah, I'm supposed uh, to be a good two shoes now, yeah. but all right. Mm-hmm. And it, because the, you don't know what exactly what they're going to do quite yet, but then you find out, obviously, over the next couple pages, 
is that she basically just beams Chunk into Gar, right? Mm-hmm. And Lex says that he can't make it too accurate, but she's like, yeah, but he's the size of a city, so surely that's mm-hmm. enough of a, a score. He's the size of Switzerland, which is, you Oh, know, sorry, yeah, country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's a small <laughs> country, to be fair. Yeah, it but... is, but it's just for, for the sake of scale, right? Yeah. So, you know, her point to Lex is, you got a whole lot to work with, you know? Um, but, but this is super yeah. dark, because this is going to kill Chunk, which she doesn't care. Mm-hmm. It's like, he is going to die because he's in space, but the last thing his body's going to do because he's going to panic in space mm-hmm. is he's going to create his big, you know, his void, his portal that Chunk does, which mm-hmm. I, I guess, I mean, I can't explain this too. Like, I, I don't remember, like, his appearances that I've read that well, yeah. but he basically makes portals into nothingness. Uh, you know, that, Yeah, it that, says he has access to the void, a pocket dimension that exists inside his body and is always threatening to consume him. So yeah. it's like almost like a black hole that is, you know. Yeah, it's what it's what. To, and him. to be fair, I think the comic does a good job of teaching new mm-hmm. people what he does yep. because he almost does it to Peacemaker at the start, and Peacemaker uh-huh. kind of explains it when he says, "You tried to do that to me." So it doesn't matter if you don't know him or you don't remember that much about him because mm-hmm. I didn't remember that much about him. But yep. it, the, the book sets it up. Taylor knows what he's doing. He he reminds the audience of who he is and what's going on here. Uh, Doctor Hay is sent to block Raven from going to see Garo. Uh, he's just a distraction. So she faces off with him briefly. Uh, but the plan happens. Uh, Chunk is sent into the middle of of Garo. And Garo, whatever's left of Gar, uh, Gar inside there is sucked into the black hole. Um, and then because Chunk's dead, the narration at least implies that because... The, the void was inside Chunk's body, that because he's dead, that void is now gone as well, therefore meaning mm-hmm. whatever was left of Gar presumably is just gone. Now, obviously, we're not at the end of the story yet. I suspect yep. there'll be some, some you know, things that will happen, perhaps. So they set up uh, Tom Taylor in, in Titans early on, right, when, when uh, Gar was turning into all the bees and all of this. Yeah. We did learn that each time one of those pieces of him died, he can feel it. Right. So he still has all the spores around. Mm. Right. So I'm again, I'm that's wondering, Sar- that's, yeah. you know, that's something Gar's that- not fully gone, but this was the way to get rid of Garo. But I, you know, Waller's just trying to kill Beast Boy. I don't think she's going to account for the fact that. Yeah, she wouldn't know, you know that, that, no. that, that, that knowledge that, the, right. that, that there's a little bit of him in all of the different little ones. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's how they somehow get him back. But yeah, the end of this issue mm-hmm. is the dead star of Garo mm-hmm. floating in space as Raven is crying out his name. And then in mm-hmm. the background, you just see Superman and Supergirl and various others just looking sad and very like, solemn. Yeah, like it's a big to be continued. Um, like I, I, you know, I've been loving this event. I think it's really well written, and the art's been really great. I think one of the critiques I had maybe last issue was that it didn't really feel like it built to an ending. This one absolutely does. This mm-hmm. one builds up to a crescendo and gives you a big cliffhanger to like sink your teeth into. Yeah, this feels like the big turn before the final act, right? Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. we're four out of six, right? Or mm-hmm. maybe seven. I don't know how many there yep. is total, but. Uh, it should be about that. So, but yeah, uh, and it feels like with Waller, and because even uh, Doctor Hate, right, is he just lets her go, right? He is, you know, yes, it's done. You can go, go say your goodbyes, right? So there's even like this, you know, just this coldness to it all, right? Where it's like, what is what is Waller's overall plan here, right? Like, yeah, 
Uh, I do wonder, is is, is, is Raven going to go kind of dark here? Is she going to mm-hmm. go like Willow Season 6 of Buffy, the television show, Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Yeah. And I... uh, go nuclear on the villains? Because I wouldn't I mean, surprise They me. did refer to her as a demon, so why not show them why, why they call you that? Yeah. You know? Uh, and also, this also all stems from the whole you know, Brother Eternity and Church of Blood, right? And that uh, those have ties to, to Trigon. And all that too. So it wouldn't surprise you if Trigon gets involved. She's going to call her dad and be like, "Help Mm -hmm. me try. I need need some help. Try." Yep. So. Oh, you don't know what uh, I'm referencing there, man. I I don't. What's that? It was when uh, DX first formed back in Uh '97. They weren't Uh quite sure how to refer to Triple H yet, so there was one one random week where people kept calling him Try. (laughs) Instead of Trips, they called him Try. That's so funny. Oh, boy. Uh, yes, credit to OSW for uh, bringing that to yeah. my attention in yeah. recent years. Anyway, yeah. uh, so... No, very, very good issue of uh, of the event. I think the the art here was very good, much like it was last issue. Lucas Meyer did these two issues. I suspect we'll be back to Reese maybe next time. But, you know, I think this issue kind of had a bit of everything. It had the big action stuff with the Giganta, uh, Bear Kaiju stuff. It had the the tease of what was to come at the end, the crescendoed properly, and then the ending was quite dark. And I think there was even some nice world building with having the Sergeant Steel stuff talking about stepping in and doing something with yeah. the Titans, which ties nicely into what's going on in Wonder Woman yeah. and all that other stuff. So and very this, good. And this feels like it's playing with pieces that we've seen from Taylor's other stuff with Nightwing and the whole idea that he views his friends as family, right? So he, mm. you know, it was his full intention not to let anything happen to to Gar, despite him being, you know, fighting against them and just the look to, to, uh, Raven and all of that stuff. And then even the, with, um, John and his electric powers and still kind of figuring out being the hero, you know, these were all hallmarks that were, were in adventures, not adventures, but it's the Superman book. And then in adventures, yeah, as uh, curious, uh, next issue, like, are we shifting to Dr. Hate and Waller as the primary mm-hmm. threat? But it also made me realize, that, asking that question, that we don't actually know what happens to all of the spores at the end because we don't we mm-hmm. don't see anyone on Earth. Like the, the beast people, like do they right. turn back to normal? Does the, the the spores come out of them, or are they all still active? Because obviously Waller thought that was going to solve the problem, but right. there's every possibility. The next issue, she has an egg in her face at the start where she realizes, oh no, that didn't actually solve anything. The big one's gone, but all the spores are still doing yeah. you know beast transformations so if that's still happening then obviously we'll still have to deal with that but i, I don't know because the, the end of this issue despite the big dramatic moment doesn't reveal what's happening on earth as a result of no. the big garrow death no and uh, we have nightwing and titans next week too so i'm sure oh yeah know, fallout there's yeah. there's going to be big big fallout things for those um but yes yeah, i just checked to see uh, in what order but yeah um yeah, it's definitely curious to what Waller's doing too, because I'm still trying to figure out her time on Earth three, right? How does that all play into, you know, uh, and and Doctor Hate? Because we still have to, you know, there's still that mystery out there too, yeah, that was set up in uh, what was that at the end of of Night Terrors? We we'll uh, have to think about that. We've moved on. No, no, no. But again, the just the the coldness with with which they were saying things and stuff. There, there's you know, a familiarity there. I feel so. 
But no, this is all very good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, what are you rating uh, Beast Titans Beast World issue for? Uh, I'm going to give this an 8.5. Yeah, I think I'm even going to go as high as the 9. I, think I really enjoyed this. It felt like a big turning point issue. Uh, mm-hmm. Had the emotion, had the action, had good art. It was a full full package. Action Comics 1061, Jason Aaron writing with John Timms on art. So this is the start of this new Action Comics All-Stars thing they're doing this year, where yeah. there's going to be a new creative team every three issues. So they all get three issue arcs. Notably, the page count is higher than a standard single issue. It's, it's not quite... It's basically, like, as if there was one backup, it gets that page count of where the backup would be. Um, mm-hmm. So it gets about 30-ish pages. Uh, so it's three slightly oversized issues, but not huge issues. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess it works out to be about four and a half issues worth of page count by the time it's all done for the, for the arc. But uh, So this is a Bizarro story. Uh, which I was coming to kind of lukewarm just because, you know. I like Bizarro in small doses. I like when he's more of a nuisance than a threat, mm. right? Because he's inherently silly. Um, and I just feel like he's one of those Superman like rogues that doesn't mean bad. And Superman just has to talk to him and, you know, be his friend. So this, this alters that formula a whole lot. The funny thing for me was I was going in with kind of lukewarm expectations, but obviously Jason Aaron's a good writer, and is mu- mm-hmm. and much like Batman Off World, where I inherently aren't, mm-hmm. I'm not as into the premise of that book that much. But once I started reading, it, I'm like, you know what, he's still really good at actually crafting the story, so I'm kind of into mm-hmm. it anyway. Um, I was kind of expecting something similar from this, where I'm going in not necessarily being that enthusiastic, but it's probably going to be solid to read, and it, it, for the most part, it actually is. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the way he tells the story here. Uh, if anything, it does feel more like his early Thor run than anything else, the way he talks yeah. about this this magical planet that Bizarro goes mm-hmm. to. I think for me, though, I do really not like the ending because I don't like what it sets up. Yeah. And part of it's because we're doing Beast World right now, DC. Uh, Jason, we've already got a big story going on where everyone's turning into something. I- so you you'd assume that these are going to be three standalone stories, right? Like not three, but each of these is each of these stories is kind of standalone, and they could have just like you would think they could have swapped them around. This could have came out after Beast World. Oh, I see. I mean, I imagine that the later ones just aren't ready, so they didn't have the choice. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah, I didn't like where I don't. Well, actually, no, come... Matt, Matt. Uh... The second one's Williamson, and it ties into Superman, so they couldn't have moved that. That has to oh, be where it is. God damn it, Williamson. Because, <laughs> <laughs> again, uh, but see, I also like, you know, the, the version of Bizarro I like isn't from a multiverse, right? He just, you know, through science and, and whatnot, through deviousness on Luther's part, he's, there's he's, a square Earth. He's you basically, know? Uh, in some ways, he's like a earlier version of the the Connor Kent Superboy, right? He's like, it's yeah. Lex trying to make his own Superman effectively. Right. Gone so wrong. When, when you make him from a, from a multiverse and it just, it changes that kind of dynamic and uh, we've had so much multiverse stuff going on. Right. Mm. Uh, that adds a bit to the fatigue. Um, but yeah, so the, the story starts off on that sorcerer world, right? Where it's, um, I remember learning about it from, Legion, 
because one of the legionnaires is from this uh i'm, I'm trying uh, xerox right, oh, right like okay. the like the copier um, i was so just going to make a photocopying joke matt yeah <laughs> yeah and and so it's this planet of wizards and you know and aaron does do that like you said with thor sets it up with like this mythology uh that's baked in and how uh you know they say that all the magic maybe had come from this planet you know across things and uh it, it turns bizarro into the threat because he he shows up to uh like we're not quite sure what his plan is well he doesn't uh, really have one i mean i think as mm-hmm. we find out later because he because he keeps saying that he's not lost which means he is lost so right. it seems like he's just we find out later on that his plot his square planet has disappeared Right. And he doesn't really know where to find it. But yep. the basic big thing that happens here is that they shoot magic at him, but because he's the opposite of Superman, it actually supercharges them mm-hmm. and he wipes them out, right? And then we right. skip ahead six weeks to, you know, Metropolis, Superman's doing his thing, uh, and Bizarro shows up. Uh, mm-hmm. In the sky, Superman oh. tries to talk him down, but Bizarro slaps him and he sends him flying to venus like superman lands mm-hmm. in venus and he's like oh boy and this is the type of scale stuff that i expect from aaron because this is the type of you know big time superhero things i'm used to reading from him whether it was in mm. thor or the avengers like he and it happens in batman offworld too just the sense of scale and scope you know because not not only venus but superman and, and bizarro end up fighting across the solar system yeah, yeah, it goes uh, past the sun, goes to Jupiter, mm-hmm. goes to Saturn, and Pluto eventually, which technically is not a planet anymore. I don't know what we're calling it. But... Uh, it's a planetoid, or, you know. Um... Planetoid. So we've got we've yeah. got eight planets and a planetoid. That's what we've yes. got now. Okay. Yeah, and part of, the, part of the logic on there is that its moon's almost as big as it, right? And when they first discovered Pluto, they thought it was one of the... Um, is it is it Neptune? Whatever planet's next to it, they thought it was one of the moons. But then that moon had a moon, so they had to classify it as something. Anyway, as long story, you know, story it doesn't matter in the scale mm-hmm. of things, except that they were really far away. Uh, which, again, scale and whatever. However, in in Beast World, right, Superman and Co are off in far space, and, and Superman's wearing like a mask, right? Um, so so again, this is just some. Some of the, it feels like Silver AG Bizarro stuff that he's knocking him across the, the solar system. Uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a fun couple of pages, right? I have, I have no issues with the fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Bizarro's speak can get a little annoying. Uh, it was kinda... Which I'm glad that he, he solves that a little bit. But yeah, eventually has... he says, he speaks backwards, not like Bizarro, but like Zatanna. And yep. basically, tells him to speak normal tells himself right. to speak normal and he does he starts speaking regularly after that which was <laughs> yeah, a, so the, a relief <laughs> the format is the format is normal but the bizarro speak he's still saying me am right it's yeah, still in, in the bizarro dialect so um but at least now he means up when he says up as opposed right. to you know the opposite right and when he says me i'm so sad he means he is sad not that he's happy yeah so, you know, he starts forming this big magical cloud above Metropolis, like he's doing something, uh, there's like a, a helicopter reporting the news, try to follow the fight and see what's going on. We go to Bibble's bar at one point and there's guys betting on how quickly yeah. Superman will solve the, the problem. Uh, but they're getting, con- Lois and Jimmy are getting concerned because they're recognizing that he's super just with magic and that, that actually might be a problem for yep. Superman. 
and seemingly is, but whatever Bizarre was doing, he effectively makes like a big portal in mm-hmm. the in the sky, uh, which at the end of the story he gets sucked into. Um, and Superman notes afterwards that it was like he was he was returning to himself again. So when he actually said that he was crying as he was being sucked in, knowing what it was going to do to the world, he was actually laughing because uh, yeah. he was reverting back to being the opposite again. That was some of that Jason Aaron low-key horror that he'll throw into things. Of when After this um, happens, Superman says, he tells Lois that he could still hear uh, Bizarro's crying, you know, days later. Mm. It, it wouldn't couldn't shake. And then when he has a realization that, oh, that wasn't crying, that was laughing, right? That gave me chills. Yeah, I... So yeah, I mean, Bizarro wanting to do this, if he if he even mean to specifically do this, and it feels like he probably did. He probably wanted to turn Earth into mm-hmm. his world again. Yeah. Um. But yeah, the ending of the issue is that Lois and all the other humans in Metropolis all turn into Bizarro versions of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh. And even Superman is laughing maniacally. Yeah. Uh, he's different from the others. He's not just turned into right. a Bizarro, but he is acting out of the ordinary. So. Mm-hmm. I have to admit, the ending did really deflate me because I'm like, oh, like, I just, uh, that's that story where everyone in Metropolis is turned into a bizarro version of themselves just feels like we're doing something similar already elsewhere. And I'm enjoying the other thing. It's not like mm-hmm. because the other thing's bad. I love well, Beast World, but. And, and recently in Williamson's, everybody got turned into a parasite. That's right. We just did this in Superman. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah, I, I'm a little bit upset because, you know, I like Bizarro. Like, he's not one of my favorite favorites, but uh, he's a character that I enjoy, but it's a very specific kind. So it, I remember there was a, a miniseries that the it was the DCYOU imprint that was kind of just like funner, lighter stories. Mm. That was a, a road trip with two guys um, and, and Bizarro across the country to try to get him. Uh, I forget exactly where they were going. And that was the type of Bizarro that I like, because he's just kind of this lunk that means well, and he's they have to keep stopping him from doing heroics, because it's just causing chaos everywhere they go. Mm. And so to have a more sinister Bizarro here, that it seems like that magic did something to him, because I feel like at the beginning when he's trashing the sorcerer's world, and you get like this war cabinet of sorcerers to stop him, and it only supercharges him, I'm wondering if it was that. Something clicked. And it made a more sinister Bizarro. Yeah, as you know, it's kind of amusing at the start when they're saying, "Wait, we've got sh- layers upon layers of magical protection," and you're telling me this idiot just punched his way through it. Mm-hmm. Like that is a little funny. Uh, and they're like, "Yes, that's exactly what he did." It's just, it's just a little. Uh, I don't know. It's almost like everyone turning into something's becoming Superman's version of when like Gotham gets taken over by a villain. Yep. Right. Yep. It's, it's becoming Superman's version of that. Um, so I, 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 yeah, I mean, it's well crafted, it's well written, mm-hmm. and the art's really solid throughout. Yeah. Like, it's, it's if, expressive, it, it yeah, manages Tim's, that scope of like you know, landing on all different planets, and you know, all, all, all of it's really solid. Yeah, and Tim draws a, a very classic looking Superman in Metropolis and Lois and Jimmy, like, it fits very well. So, to be like the first entry into the superstars thing, I, I mean. I would just ask them why, why a bizarro story to lead off with. Like if I could ask Jason Aaron, one thing, like 
why is your first foray into Superman? Why did you want it to be Bizarro? Uh, yeah, must just say like Bizarro, I guess. <laughs> maybe, but um, but yeah, but yeah, I really do like the art. Like um, Tim's when when Superman at the end when he gets you know he's laughing and he's just slightly off. Um, that looks really good because it looks like Superman normally, but the more it's one of those pictures, the more you look at it, the more messed up it gets. Uh, that's what it feels like. Uh, there's like an uncanny valley to it. Yeah. No, they are really solid. I think some of the layouts are quite good as well. It's just a shame mm -hmm. uh, that I don't love what the story concept does. I almost yeah. wonder if the reason why it's this bizarro story that he's doing first, his first chance at really doing Superman, is because mm -hmm. he knows it's only three issues, and it's like, oh, maybe he's yeah. got bigger ideas that he might one day do in a run, but this is only a three-issue thing, so, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, yeah. Dewey's like more self-contained bizarro story, which is fair enough, but there's just there's enough similarities to what else is going on in DC and what's happened recently in Superman that it just feels yeah. a little bit like a retread in some ways. For sure. And it was a bit disappointing too, because again, I was looking forward to this because it is, you know, it is Jason Aaron. He's one of my favorite writers. He's writing my favorite character in Superman. And I kind of wanted something more of a bang out the gate, but maybe you're onto something that there's something else that he's saving that big you know, big bang for. And I don't even mean there's anything planned right now. I just mean that in his own sort of tank, if yeah. you will, that he's got more right. Superman ideas, but they're all bigger. They're all going right. to take, you know, 12 issues or even 30 mm -hmm. issues to do. And... He's, he's got to wait for Williamson to stop telling his story so he can <laughs> get over there, you know. Yeah, maybe. Uh, that's, that's possible. Yeah. Um, So, you know what? Action Comics sold seemingly better based on the uh, the digital mm -hmm. rankings than it has been so i guess this refresh of the uh, yeah. all-star did did help yeah. uh so i can't deny that it's maybe achieved yeah. something so, but say so it, it's superstar because oh. all-star is its own thing in dc right like oh. it has its own but yeah ah. this is the but yes. actually comics all-stars has alliteration it sounds better true true but they're going with the super part of this with the superstar so yeah, I'll probably I just keep, keep calling wrong. Action Comics All Star, and I'd, I was like, but on the on the cover it says Superstar. I'm, I'm going to level with you, Matt. Mm -hmm. I don't care. <laughs> okay, I'm just <laughs> you know, I just I just don't want you to look dumb. That's all. I just oh, want you to get it right. Oh, trust me, I'll I'll, I'll make myself look proper dumb with something else. This is this is <laughs> this is nothing. Uh, uh, yeah. Anyway. Uh, it, it, it's it's a perfectly subtle from a technical perspective it's very well crafted it looks good it reads well conceptually i just don't love what it's ended up going i'm still mm -hmm. going to read the rest of it it's only two more issues i might as well yeah like you yeah know, of course i'll keep reading action unless it gets pretty bad so uh yeah no no, no uh yeah so i won't, I won't even rate this that low because i think it is objectively pretty good it's just you know yeah, I'd like a different story. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, uh, what are you rate Action Comics one thousand sixty one? It's a solid eight out of ten. Nah, I can't go higher than uh, a seven. Okay. The, the the ending and just the feeling of like this is the, what we're doing in the story is just too too strong mm -hmm. to go any higher than that. <clears throat> uh, but craft is strong for sure. Like mm -hmm. I, you know, I'm not going to besmirch anything there. So, there you go. Batman and Robin, issue 5, legacy number 71. Joshua Williamson writing with Nicola Chesmeja. Yeah, close. 
I think it's a cha, not a sa. So I think it's chameja. Chameja, okay. Yeah. There's too many umlauts and highlights and other things I don't understand on this. Yeah, I believe there's. I think I don't. Maybe they're Hungarian. I'm not sure. I remember looking it up because I read all. I read that Batman Zatanna story that was in Urban Legends, Mm -hmm. and it was the same artist. Okay. So yeah. Hmm. All right. So. Damien's in high school. He thinks that his principal is actually the woman who trained him back in the League of Assassins. And he wants to infiltrate and find out what's going on. And Bruce is getting joined in by volunteering for uh, some after-school activities. He's there for the pancake uh, bake-out thing. Did you read this, Matt? Is this just me? No, 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 no. This is just you. Just me. I, right. I've gotten too far behind, and so... That's, that's fair. I, I yeah. can't... I can't fault this is just your revenge for but, all those books you read last Batman week. But Batman at a pancake breakfast, I'm, you know, <laughs> I'm here for that. I yeah, mean, so, that's something that sounds nice. Yeah, it's the, it's the, it's the soccer tryouts for the school, and they're doing mm-hmm. a pancake thing. And they, they do have a little fun joke here, actually, that I do like. It's, it's like in Kindergarten Cop when all the single moms think Arnold's really hot, mm-hmm. uh, where all these, uh, what's what one of them says? He's a broken boy, and I want to waste my good years trying to fix him. Uh, that really made me laugh, because they don't know how broken Bruce actually is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're all very excited that, that He's Bruce... nice to look at, though. Yes. He's giving them pancakes. It's a whole thing. Damien's pissed that he's even there. Damien never considers, of course, that Bruce may just want to do a father-son thing by getting involved in his school life. But, mm-hmm. of course, Damien's not taking that seriously. Uh, Damien, I think, is suitably looking a little older here. Like, not too much, just like he's, you know, he looks like he's maybe 14 pushing 15 in this art, which probably feels about right now, I would say. Uh, yeah, so... you think early high school level for him, right? Like... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, he's, uh, you know, the, the, it flashes back to them chasing Orca to find out uh, what Shush and Manbat are up to. Uh, still hate the name Shush, for the record. Yep. Uh, but, you know, there's, and there's some fun art here, which is a good point, is this is a different artist, Chemeshka, uh, uh, or Chemeshka. I'm, uh, I'm looking it up right now, and it's very hard to find, like, the... I'm having the fun trying phonetic. to say it, if nothing yes. else, okay? There's, there's no yes. ill intent here. Um, I actually like their art more than the previous artist. Uh, I think it's easier to follow. It's not as... Like... Like, the actual art style before was very clearly strong in terms of, like, the skill at display, but it felt like it all blurred together and it was hard to follow the layouts, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Here, I think the art is better. I think it's expressive. I think the color palette from the colorist is a lot more pleasing to my eye. But, um, you know, mileage may vary depending on taste, because the art before was certainly wasn't bad uh, by any means. But uh, I-, I enjoyed the chase with Arca here and... The shock waves as his orca like crashes onto the onto the docks, and Batman and Robin are jumping out the way and whatnot. Uh, but ultimately, uh, orca it's just kind of sad because Orca's like I just worked with them because I wanted to work with people of my own kind because obviously the terrible trio had all turned into actual creatures. So mm-hmm. it's actually just kind of a bitter uh, end to the chase. But Batman and Robin are talking about the school stuff, and Damien's convinced that his teacher, his head teacher, is is uh, is this trainer from from his past. And there's a little montage page of his week where he's keeping an eye on her. Uh, and there's some fun sight little gags here where 
in PE, he was playing dodgeball, and there's like a kid just laid out on the ground with like smoke coming from his head because Damien's hit him in the face so hard with the ball, which I thought was really funny. Uh, uh, so can't can dodge a wrench, it looks like. <laughs> can't dodge a wrench, can't dodge a ball. Uh, and there's like a panel of him like up in a tree like he's Robin, watching the teacher all suspiciously. Um, and, but then his bio teacher starts talking to Bruce at the, the soccer tryout thing about how Damien's very gifted, he's just unfocused, and that he's probably better off because he's so gifted, maybe go- taking some college classes or something. I feel like because Damien's convinced the principal is this woman from his past, I feel like it's setting up the obvious swerve that the nice teacher's the one that's actually from his past. So that feels like an obvious swerve to do at some point. I, maybe I'm, maybe it's a red herring, maybe I'm being too cynical about the, the writing. Uh, but Damien's trying to draw something and the soccer players, uh, you know, the ball hits his stuff and, you know, the guy's just a dickhead bully. So so Damien throws the ball at him in his stomach and hurts him. Uh, and then this teenage girl comes up and defends Damien and calls off all the soccer players and tries to be nice to him and talk to him Uh and whatever so and it doesn't actually do the thing what you think it might do where Damien's instantly got a crush on a girl but I feel like we might go there eventually because it feels like Damien has to go through that experience at some point mm-hmm. Caroline he... hasn't showed up in this book has, has she? oh that's right of course yeah, he's, he's yeah. Had a, yeah I forgot the Robin book he had the love interest yeah. you're right you're right Flatline yeah mm-hmm. uh, I like her a lot I just I wish she was around more yeah, maybe. I mean, that was Williamson. I, I would, mm-hmm. I would not be surprised if Flatline shows up. I just yeah. forgot about there for a second, so I was yeah. questioning if we'd ever had Damien have a love interest. Yeah. Uh, but no, no, he 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 has uh, shown some some healthy slash unhealthy attraction to Flatline, mm-hmm. and not unhealthy in the way that he was acting like a creep. Just unhealthy in that they're maybe terrible for each other because they're both vicious little shits. Yeah, <laughs> they were both raised to be killers. Um, well, she found hers out by you know proxy. He was raised from birth, but, you know. Yes. So it turns out that the principal's also the soccer coach, right? Which maybe, like, leans into the idea that she's, like, a a trainer. Uh, But she's got the whistle, and she's training the kids. So Damien gets an idea uh, to use this to his advantage. And he tries out. He puts on the, the outfit and starts playing soccer. And basically is just dancing circles around them because he's, like, you know, Robin, right? He's Damien Wayne. He's kicking the ball through their legs. He's he's, yeah, he's trying to fight ninjas and bat creatures, and him kicking a soccer ball is not, you know. And I'll admit, it's kind of funny watching Bruce get kind of into it and get proud mm. and start yelling, "Go, Damien!" It feels like he's actually mm. just almost involuntary responding as a father. It's kind of mm. interesting to watch. Uh, but the goalie catches the ball which convinces Damien that the goalie's actually more than just a high school student and he must be trained. He must be like like a, a ninja or something that the, mm-hmm. the principal's been training because there's no way he could have caught the ball otherwise. And Bruce is like trying to tell him, just because he caught your ball when you tried to score a goal doesn't mean that he's like an assassin or something. He might yeah. just be good at being a goalie. <laughs> He's a good keeper, that's all. <laughs> um, but they're, he's convinced and they're keeping an eye on the, the principal uh, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, Bruce keeps bonding with them because um, Damien says, well, we're going to keep cracking this case. I don't like being wrong, father. And then Bruce goes, oh, like father, like son. And I'm like, 
So, you know, credit to Williamson, I, a lot of the little character moments in here are genuinely quite amusing and quite funny. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Um, no, not bad. Um, uh, as far as the, the end of the book goes, they follow the goalie uh, or because Damien thinks he's suspicious. And basically the, 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 the cliffhanger is that the goalie does turn out to be someone. He, oh, goes, to, he goes to a room uh wherever he is and it turns out that this kid is the son of victor zass oh no right and he's got like a wall that's got like it's got the mugshot of his dad and there's like a knife and a frame that says first kill and (laughs) and the kids like uh, it was a good day father no one suspects me at the school we'll be together soon so i don't know what he's what he's uh, planning to do here but i hope every time he makes a save he has to give himself a tally mark (laughs) so the better he is the more tallies he gets yeah honestly i don't mind this ending i think it's more interesting in him just being uh, like a random ninja that the, the principal's training. Yeah, but it's also funny that Damien's suspicions turn out to be correct. Yeah, that's funny. Like, I feel yeah. like the tone of this, maybe Williamson's like writing style just works for the sense of humor that he brings to Damien, and that's why mm-hmm. I like the Robin book. I've been a little bit more mixed on this one, but I do yeah. think all the high school stuff's been fun, and I this is easily my favorite issue of the book because it was almost entirely that. Like, it was more focused around at mm-hmm. this time. As opposed to doing all the shush stuff that was taking up a lot of yeah. it before. So, uh, I had fun with this. I, I'd probably give it a nice, comfortable 7.5 if I'm, mm-hmm. if I'm being, uh, if I'm being honest. And I, I like that the art's a little bit, you know, different, a bit more moody. Not to say that it doesn't have some cartoony faces here or there, but it kind of worked for the, the comedy reactions that it's going for uh, between right. Batman and Damien. There is the odd kind of face that looks a little bit kind of melted and i guess what i mean by that is is like there's like a panel i'm looking at towards the end for example where damien's mouth looks too low down so there's this big gap between his nose and his mouth so it it looks like his mouth is just sort of drooped down uh, in a way but it's it's a minor thing for the most part i like the aesthetic that the arts bring into the table Uh, a lot of speed lines and things like that especially when he's playing the football game there's a lot of uh you know speed lines for the ball speed line for damien all the rest of it uh it makes it a pretty entertaining read Shemeja's uh, art is very like it, it's instantly recognizable uh, when you know that you're looking at it kind of like Rosmo but it lacks that chaos that Rosmo has but you know it, for me it was an acquired taste like the more the more I read of it the more I enjoyed it because the stuff that you're talking about like because you get the occasional melty face or it almost yeah. looked unfinished but there was a style to it that you know the, the more you get used to it, the less it bothers you. you know? Yeah, it's one, it's one of those art styles where there's the odd little thing you can nitpick, but the overall aesthetic is quite strong and mm-hmm. pleasant to look at. And it, that, that goes a long way, because if you're generally just feeling happy about what you're looking at, then you, mm-hmm. you, you end up forgiving a lot of the little things or yep. the occasional big anime eyes that you might throw in <laughs> once yep. or twice. Uh, so... Yeah, no, honestly, solid uh, solid issue. Probably my favourite yet of the book, uh, mainly because it focused on more what I liked of the book, and some of the, the scenes were legitimately quite amusing and funny, so, uh, yeah. Uh, 7.5 out of 10, I think I'm happy to, happy to give. So good. So good. Uh, Green Lantern, issue 7, legacy number 543. 
Jeremy Adams writing with a man key in your hillpin on the mm-hmm. R. So this issue is mostly a flashback. Obviously, we had that that reveal uh, last issue at the end yep. that Kilowog has not been alive. Uh, Jordan's been talking to a construct this entire mm-hmm. time. Uh, so this is basically the flashback to how he died. Uh, it also fills in a little bit of this United Planet stuff. We get a bit more context around that, yeah. which is interesting. Uh, we yeah. see all of the lanterns, all the Earth lanterns. You know, Jess is there, Baz, Guy, Kyle. They're all there with the with the the main pair uh, right now, mm-hmm. which is Hal and John, because they're the ones with the books. Yep. Uh, and they're basically waiting for the United Planets people to show up and like give them what their orders are. This is back when the, the changeover was happening. And this is where they ban Sector 2814. They're quarantining it because they've got enough of their own heroes and so many problems come from that planet that we're just, <laughs> we're just cordoning I, it off. I don't disagree with the United Planets decision here. However, from reading other books with Theros in it, the, you know, oh, the yeah. Durlin guy... It it seems to be coming from a bad place now. Yeah, it's, right? it's corruption in politics rather right. than actual, you know, fair but logic. But sometimes the corrupted policy does have its root in something that makes <laughs> sense. I mean, right? you can't really argue that Earth has a ton of superheroes. The Green Lanterns yeah. aren't really needed <laughs> for the most right. part. Right, <laughs> but I also, with Hal's like, no, that's my home though. Like, it's part of the deal. Um, and having so, said that, I always want one of the Green Lantern books to be on Earth because I think yeah. it's interesting having them on Earth. But right, you know, uh, so it's actually nice to see. It. Interesting that Joe's just there because but the end of her mm-hmm. book was she like just part of the core normally? I th- I think so. It's okay. been a minute because um, she because she was like different, right? She had a ring from yeah. a different source. She was uh, yeah, hers was from a, a different guardian, and it it went off of. I forget the exact thing, but it didn't charge the same way, which we're also finding in this book, too, that something happened to the power battery at the end of the last Green Lantern before these two books yeah, started. Yeah, now it's been fueled by the source wall directly uh, or right. whatever. Uh, John um, Stewart set I, that up. Right, which I'm wondering if that's the, the John book that we stopped reading, if that's where that ended up. Oh, um, sure, yeah. that Yeah. The, the, yeah. And so... Um, I'm wondering too if if that's you know just her now that she, her ring's not being powered by the central bat power battery, she can just join up no matter what you know. Yeah, I wonder. I yeah, so we find that there's a lot less Green Lanterns because the battery mm-hmm. can only support so many, so they've kind of trimmed the ranks a little bit. Mm-hmm. All the Earth Lanterns are still there because they're all good Lanterns. Uh, it intentionally leaves it a mystery where a lot of them are sent because they all get assigned yep. to other places. So Baz, Joe, Jess, and Kyle. It, you know, Hal specifically says he doesn't know where they were sent. And I think that's just like an intentional thing so that w- whenever another writer is given the task of like writing for them, yeah. they can just do whatever they want with them. They're like, okay, they get mm-hmm. sent here. The only one we actually get something for, and it's really just for a joke, is Guy. Yeah. Because Guy's like, I'm not doing anything for you. I won't accept your new assignment. Yeah. We want you to hunt Lobo. I'm in! I'm in. <laughs> Wait, uh, when do you want him back? Uh... Uh, that was that was really good, and it also shows that Adams as a, you know, he knows how to handle guy, you know, he you're not just gonna put him in the corner, he's gonna make a lot of noise. So, you know, if that's wherever he is, and they they pick up that story another time, you know, uh, fine by me. Not that I really want to be like guy in Lobo no, story. <laughs> of course you don't, you know, but give me him teaming up with Arkillo to go take out Lobo. Oh man, give that book to Venditti. I'm there. Yeah, so 
after this, Hal is still there with the, the, the core, and he goes with Kilowog as protective detail uh, mm-hmm. for... What's the Darlin's name again? Uh, Theros. Theros, thank you. It's T-H-A-A-R-O-S, so I'm, I'm thinking it's Theros... Teros or Teros, one of the two. Okay. But yeah. Uh, they're there to sort of protect him because he's going to Karagar to talk to Sinestro, who of course has also been part of this run, so this might even right. lead to some of the things that he's yeah. up to. Uh, but they go there because he wants to talk to Sinestro about Karagar joining the United Planets. Uh, so it's like a diplomatic visit, effectively. Mm-hmm. Uh, but while they're there, Sinestro doesn't sound too impressed, but more importantly, there's some Yellow Lantern terrorists that attack during mm-hmm. this. Um, and whilst they're, they're fighting them off, Kilowog tries to take on all three of them by himself and eventually gets speared by, like, just tons and tons of, like, yellow, like, yeah. spears, basically. Uh, it's, it's quite a visual scene. I'm sort of slumped down with all these, like, light, be- like some beams of light getting into him. Yeah, yeah, man, it was, that was tragic. Because yeah. Kilowog, you know, that's guy and Kilowog are two of my favorites, so to see him, this is how he goes out. Uh, which I still don't fully believe, but we'll get there. I am. Uh, I'm sure there'll be like some sort of retcon of this or something yeah. later on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hal ends up having to save Theros uh, by flying him away. That, he's that's why he's not there to help Kilowog yeah. during the fight. Well, and doesn't Kilowog tell him to go go take finish the mission, and that's to protect Theros? He goes, yeah, I got these yeah. three. Yeah, yeah. That's why he flies off with them. But then yeah. he obviously he comes back and. It's too late. Kilowog's already done. And then the end of this backstory, which we don't get like a follow-up to, so there's more to find out here, but mm-hmm. it seems like the yellow power battery on Kurigar goes boom. And that maybe mm-hmm. explains why Sinestro doesn't have a yellow ring His that's working. Axis. Yeah. Uh, maybe none of them have working yellow rings mm-hmm. right now. So yeah. uh, that's uh, that would make sense, given what happened here. So, um, Although I do wonder if the, the lantern battery exploding um because Kilowog's mm-hmm. not actually dead when he gets speared he's still alive right. at that point he's still alive and then the yellow power battery explodes and it, it seemingly vaporizes all of them yeah but, but that's that's vague enough though that either yep. he might have been shielded from the blast or maybe the blast mm-hmm. just teleported them somewhere yeah or something like that so i think it's pretty lately that Kilowog's alive because it feels like that it feels like there's something going on with all the power batteries. Well, right? that, that's the final page is that we, mm-hmm. we cut back to the, the trailer, uh, the camper van where Hal's staying and he's telling all this to who, who we theorized was a, uh, an indigo lantern. Someone. Yeah. yeah. Razor is his name. Yeah. Um, and he says here, you know, I'm here because the power battery on Odom has been destroyed. So mm-hmm. that's presumably if we're right that he's indigo, if that's the right color, we're he's picking. not, he's blue. Oh, he's blue. Sorry. Okay. There yeah, you go. Right. Fair enough. So he's a blue lantern. Uh, Odium was the home. You didn't know that last time. So I, so I didn't know what they were going with him as, but apparently he is a, uh, he's adapted from the cartoon series and he ends up as a blue lantern there. So I'm okay. wondering if they're using that as, as the basis. All right. Well, so, Okay, yeah. well, fair enough. But, I mean, even though I didn't know what color of battery he was referring still, to, yeah, it's it like okay, still the same. that's the third. I mean, because the green lantern power battery is mm-hmm. technically gone; they've just replaced yep. it with something else. The yellow battery's gone, and now it sounds like you know the blue lantern battery's gone. Mm-hmm. So something's really messing with all the cores. I do wonder if this is all a, a plan to kind of simplify the green lantern mythos again by sort of uh-huh. taking away all the different cores, making it more straightforward again. 
Uh, we'll see what they do with that. But yeah, I mean, this last page is the only page where it's um, set sort of following up the the present day part of the story, which is not a complaint because the <laughs> like we've been having these questions as to how Hal ended back up on Earth, what mm-hmm. happened to Kilowog, uh, why Sinestro sort of like on his own away from the planet. This bu- also, this issue did a lot the- to answer a lot of those questions yeah and also why his ring like we know he he built his ring but why he's discovering its newer powers and its limits on top of it too Um, do you think that when the previous battery went that all the energy from it just kind of now exists in the the ethos right it's just around everywhere probably and and he's just tapping into it naturally yeah and i feel like and that's also in the in the other book with john john doing the kind of similar that he's able to just tap yeah. into his will right because when you find out about his mom and his sister and the constructs that he's making there for for his mom um that's that's not typical green lantern energy stuff it does so i'm wondering if it's just kind of out and free and they're just able to tap into that free version of it it does feel like there's maybe at least a little bit of a game plan here because it feels like both mm-hmm. books will tie into it when they do yep. eventually get to whatever that that revealer <laughs> story is yeah, the fact that, that uh, Adams used Theros here uh, and that Theros seems to be the big bad uh, that, that uh, Johnson has developed, because we also saw him in, in action, right, yeah. towards the end there. Um, it, it would definitely feel like... And he's, he's also, of course, writing the, the John Stewart book as well. And he's writing the John Stewart right. book, so uh, there's definitely pieces around, and I wouldn't think necessarily a crossover, but I do feel like they're playing in the same sandbox. You know? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if a Green Lantern like mini mm-hmm. or event book gets announced with Johnson yep. helming it, mm-hmm. um, kind of like Beast World with with Taylor yep. spying out a Nightwing. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, no, I mean I enjoyed this issue. I don't think I enjoyed it as much as maybe the last couple of yeah. the, the issues because those were more exciting. But mm-hmm. you know, all of this stuff was good backstory that we've, we've been kind of teasing for a while and it doesn't answer everything we don't know why the power batteries have exploded i'm <laughs> sure that's where the story's going but yep. it felt like a big prominent part of the story uh also worth mentioning here the three yellow lanterns that attacked uh yeah. theros sinestro didn't know about that uh right. Hal, hal's skeptical but i actually believe him because i do think it's, it's interesting that they were acting on their own it wouldn't even surprise me if Theros himself had like orchestrated this yep that would be my guess right in now. order to to get more control because you know Korgar's not as uh in control if Sinestro has rogue Sinestro core members yeah right so but I feel like that's gonna blow up in the face when Sinestro and Hal end up teaming up against Theros just out of spite uh you know uh, but yeah, no, this is this is some good Green Lantern stuff. I've missed this neck of DC for a while, and yeah. the fact that we have two decent books at the same time. Yeah, it would uh, almost be uh, interesting if the reason why Sinestro is... Because he's obviously done some pretty nasty things to try and get mm-hmm. home. But it, I think it's interesting from a motivation point of view if the reason why he's trying to get home is because a corrupt... Like he's been... He's basically been th- thrown out by a corrupt... like. Mm-hmm. Uh, rebellion yeah, government yeah. yeah like like well not even just that but the idea that his own people from within have usurped him and thrown him out this idea that his motivation might be to get back to Korrigar to save it because he's seeing these like bad elements take over yeah. it 
he may actually have a kind of a noble goal, ultimately, despite all the bad things he's been doing to try and get back to Korrigar. Right, but what if he gets back there and it's a better functioning society and he was holding them back? You think he's going to be okay with that too? I mean, I don't know if that's what will be happening. We'll see. Yeah, you uh, know. I feel like we might get there and like they might have all turned into capitalists or something and he's going yeah. to be like, what is this nonsense? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's definitely there's something sinister going on with the United Planets because we saw in War Journal them go to that planet and immediately start exploiting it, you know, taking all the people. And maybe that's their goal for Korgar too, right? And so it is going to have to be him saving it from the Yeah, which which ties in. He wants to go save Mm -hmm. Korgar from being manipulated and from being preyed upon by the United Planets. Or Mm -hmm. even if they're not just mining it, the idea that there's powers within that have taken control... Mm -hmm. Either way, I feel like Keith thinks he needs to yeah. save Corrigar, and that's why yeah. he wants to get back there. And I think he kind of said something along those lines at some point in this mm-hmm. run. But now that we have this context of like there being kind of a, yeah. uh, you know, a, like a sabotage, like a planned uh-huh. attack kind of thing, it does feel like, oh, maybe he does have some genuine reasons to want to go back and save everyone. Yeah. Even if and that's he's... also why he's working with, because we saw some of the people he was working with are like the dregs of, of society. Mm. Yeah, space yeah. society anyways that would make sense why because he you know he's trying to stay off the radar of course if he just explained this to hal rather than trying to murder innocent people on earth maybe hal would yeah. uh went along with it but yeah know. but he's yeah sinestro's gonna sinestro right he's gonna yeah, yeah so. very strange very strange uh mm-hmm. did you read the backup on this one did not Nah, me neither. <laughs> no. I mean, it's, it's because it's just continuing the same thing that it's been doing, yeah. so I've not been reading that. Although next month is Ron Mars coming back to Kyle, so I'll probably be giving that a oh, read. Okay, yeah, okay. I'll yeah. give that a whirl. All right. Yep. That's fair. Uh, so, all right. What are you giving Green Lantern? I'm going to 7.5. I'm happy to give it the 8. I mean, I don't think it's, it's as great as some of the previous issues, but I, I think it's been a really essential chapter. I, I didn't feel robbed that we didn't advance the, the present day stuff. It felt like all very important uh, building blocks. Mm-hmm. So, good. Outsiders issue three, Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing with Robert Carey on the R. So, that's it. That's it. This book's been doing very different things each issue. And mm-hmm. I will say at first, I wasn't sure how I felt about this one, but it kind of won me over a little bit as yep. it went on and that was kind of similar to the first issue and i wasn't sure how to feel about it and then as it went on it legitimately got a few laughs out of me which i was not expecting mm-hmm. um i even shared on twitter there's a panel because basically kate and luke go into like they get these coordinates for like be something beyond a, uh, a portal to like outside of reality and it ends up being this like a dreamlike uh hub world that all the different Batmen from all the different universes all sort of go to in their dreams and kind of communicate, which is a mm-hmm. wild idea. And I'm like, oh, it's multiverse stuff. It's multiple Batmans. I was getting a little like, are we really doing this? But then as it kept doing more of it, it, it got kind of interesting and fun, partly because Luke's not meant to be there. So like they kind of act hostile towards him. Yep. Kate meeting other Kates because she's just as traumatized as Batman is. So she mm-hmm. belongs there just the same even though she's not ready to be there yet, this specific version. Uh, that was kind of interesting, but what really was getting me was all the fun little jokes they were doing uh, as things were going on. Like, when you see all the Batmen having a meeting in the Batcave, mm-hmm. and they're having... It's like it's like a town hall meeting where they're saying, oh, first up on the itinerary, and this, this, and this. Like, one of them says, 
A reminder before we begin, please take time to visit the grieving room. We have a new installation of tumbling pearls that you may find quite dramatic. I howled with laughter at it's, that. That was so funny. Like, yeah, so like Kelly and Lansing as writers, we haven't really been huge on stuff that they've done, right? Like they, it's been pretty okay. It's um it's been mostly little two issue fill-ins of other runs and then a mini here or there. Yeah, it's not been yeah, anything like, meaningful. We've never been overtly negative, but we're kinda like, oh, okay, there it's Kelly and Lansing, we're not missing too much if we miss whatever. I, I wanna this I feel like this is them making their push of hey look, we, we can do like stories about stories really well. Because just this idea of it's almost like what it's like to put together a Batman story from their perspective as writers. Right? And just the idea that that, you know, um Luke's not meant to be there because he's not a bat character, right? Like, yes, he's from the bat family, but he has a different, he's not, you know, he's he doesn't not, have the same trauma. Yeah. Background. He's not traumatized. That's the word I was going to use. He's not, yeah. he's not got the trauma to be there. <laughs> right. And when you look at it from the meta context of like, well, we want bat characters in this book, say, right. And, you know, Kate is traumatized, but Luke's not. And I feel like that pitch of them going, yeah, he's, He's not traumatized, and that's why he needs to be on the team with the Outsiders, because he's almost the anti-Batman in that way, right? Like, he's on the team, he has the tech, he has all the stuff, but he lacks that same that same unifying thread that gets a lot of the Bat characters together. So this was kind of a very almost, the way that I read it was a smart take on, you know, what what's it like to try to create Batman? Or create for Batman, rather. Yeah, plus I just I, I thought there was this right tone to the, the sense of humor where these Batmans were taking each other very seriously and talking, mm-hmm. and it just kind of felt like a very tongue in cheek in a way that was working for me. Yeah. Uh, and the only look is there, and there was a tease of this character earlier, this guy in big, huge Batman armor, mm-hmm. but he jumps down and actually slices one of the Batman in half, like just down yeah. the middle, just slices them. It's super gory. Um, says the hubris and. Turns out his big axe is actually also a guitar, which yep. was giving me weird flashbacks of Slumber Party Massacre Part 2. Uh-huh. Uh, very strange to be reminded of that in a, in a Batman or he's, an outsider's He's just comic. more of a metal guy than a greaser, so that was the big difference. Yeah. So uh, this ends up being a version of Duke, who uh-huh. is trying to kill all these versions of Batman. and Because uh, he's one of the... the, the that was it the death wave knights which came from that dark multiverse book you remember when they would do there was each a different like basically dark what if um oh, this yeah. was the, Matt, this, you're, this... you're referencing something we did on the show that's how long we've been doing this show now <laughs> but i don't remember if you read it because i remember some of them only i read oh sure yeah, yeah. i mean i read yeah. that one yeah yeah so this is the duke from that story so again they're they're going and and pulling from this you know again Meta, because they even name dropped the metaverse, right? You know, which came from Doomsday Clock. Mm. Um, so they're they're pulling from that too, which I thought was really funny. Because yeah, when he came down with a guitar, I instantly thought of metal, like of, of death metal and all that, because of that joke, that or not joke, that device that Snyder had put in that the two chords were DC, right? And they had to get on the same vibrational. Um, that's what made me think i didn't i didn't immediately go to some party massacre he, he's just but. so lucky snyder is that dnc like the, the name yep. of the company is yep. two letters in the first eight letters of the alphabet because if they're any higher you couldn't make that yep. that music connection nope 
Well, and, and again, it's, it's one of those happenstance things that it, with the way that they have taken to the vibrational differences, that's what does the multiverse, you know, that it does work with music that way too. So uh, it's really how stuff works out. But yeah, um, I, I liked all the Kate stuff in this too, uh, as she's going through that hallway and we see almost like the different versions of her family. It's all this. It's all the paintings where her sister's mm -hmm. also there, but then she gets yep. the one where her sister's not there, and it's just her and her yep. parents. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I liked all of that because it does show how different she is. Where, yes, she's you know, I also like how annoyed she is that she's like, yeah, we're in a different like, we're in this portal of my cousin's house. You know, like there's just this annoyed uh, with her, but uh, I do like it. Also puts her up to prominence in in the Bat family is that she's you know she's just as traumatized as Bruce. You know, uh, almost in a different way, right? Because she had that very difficult relationship with her dad, um, which I, he did, he was responsible for the bat kaiju at the beginning of reboot or rebirth, right? The, do you remember that story? Yeah. Yeah. Monster man. Oh, they're not monster. Yeah, man, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think he was, he was responsible for that. Right. Um, so when we haven't seen him in a while, I don't think, uh, but yeah, uh, it's almost more traumatic than Bruce's because Bruce doesn't have that family aspect that's fighting him at least not right now give give Zdarsky enough time to resurrect ma and martha and thomas but yeah yeah so the end of the book is you know they get sent back uh the, the batman's helped them get out and they're back on the carrier uh and basically at the end of the issue uh, drummer is looking at the planetary book and it says uh -huh. in the books this is something that's already been written it says, oh, the test was a great success. Uh, Luke Fox is helpful, but Kate Kane's too far gone. She's already dreaming of bats. And the final page is her uh, dreaming of bats. But mm -hmm. the, the thing here, though, is that this book talks about Luke being a potential help in fighting a narrative virus. So it's mm -hmm. setting up whatever its uh, overla overarching story is, is mm -hmm. the idea of a narrative virus. And drummers reading details of what's just happened from this book which is clearly mm -hmm. from the future or from outside of time where all this has already happened right because it, it looks old they make a good they go to the effort of making these pages look dirty and like yeah. worn out and stuff like that Aged. so yeah uh, well and also the call out to the title right where where luke goes yeah don't worry about the kate we're outsiders yeah I, I did like that too it wasn't one of those things where it made me groan it was like okay that's why they're going with this it's not like a a batman and the outsiders it's more like you know, because this was giving me like Booster Gold book vibes where he's going through time and it's kind of an excuse for the writers just to kind of try out different storytelling stuff. Um, and so the fact that, you know, yeah, Kate and Luke now are outside of a typical comic book story. Um, I thought that was a, another smart piece. Yeah. Uh, the, the the color in the last page is really good because all, all, the, all the panels of Kate sleeping are all very mm -hmm. tinted blue, you know, it's that nighttime kind of look. But then all of the stuff in her dream is all just blacks and reds, which mm -hmm. works because obviously it's her colors, like it's literally her color mm -hmm. scheme. Uh, but it also just really sells that idea of the difference between them. So, mm -hmm. uh, no, so the idea of this narrative virus is interesting, and I'm wondering how weird and sci fi it'll get with this idea of the book and what they're already destined to be involved in. Mm -hmm. But uh, very curious. Like I say, this one won me over as it went along because I wasn't sure how I felt about what the premise of the book was. But 
it's kind of yeah. it's kind of done that every issue where by the time it's got to the end i've kind of like okay that was like a fun weird sci-fi adventure i think maybe the reason why i wasn't liking this one as much is because it was going into like a dreamlike world that feels mm-hmm. more magic to me than sci-fi and i was really liking the sci-fi bent on the first two but like i say by the end it kind of won me over i chuckled quite a number of times at some of the stuff that batman were saying it felt like it was poking fun of the the ideas rather than taking it super seriously like say a uh, chip Zarsky, like yep. zero and r multiple batman recently have been doing so yeah because that's what got me i saw a whole bunch of batman just standing around and went, oh no not again <laughs> and, and then it played Hello, itself darkness, out. my old friend yeah and then it played itself out and then there's the joke about the tumbling pearls which also got a chuckle out of me i was like oh good they're making fun of this they're, we're not gonna have to deal with this again um but yeah, I'm, I'm looking to see uh, like ahead in the solicits uh-huh. um, if any of the stuff. And it just seems like they're going to keep going on in these kind of uh, anthology style. You know, like there's yeah. there is a bigger narrative, but there are little pieces of things. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it's going to be standalone adventures that are slowly mm-hmm. building whatever they're doing in the background. So, mm-hmm. uh, which is fun. It's a, it's a different way to do a serialized story. So, uh, all right, what are you giving Outsiders? I'm gonna give this an eight. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I think I agree with the eight. It's uh, it's pretty very good. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm surprised how much I'm enjoying this book. Honestly, I wasn't expecting to when it was announced. So, mm-hmm. uh, fair play. Wesley Dodds, the Sandman issue four, Robert Vendetti writing with Riley Rosmo on the art. Matt is still reading this. In fact, he read issue three yeah. last time and didn't tell us, so he never talk- talked yeah. about it. So, so the last time, so in in issue three, we found out that someone had broken in and stolen all of uh, Wesley's poison gases that were kind of mistakes. Uh, they're not his dream gas. And Oh, no, I was issue two, because I read that. Right, but yeah. you find out that they, the military wants to use those, right? So they they get Wesley mm. in into a meeting, and um, someone has stolen his journal, right? They broke into his house, stole his journal. They have knowledge somehow of his gases, and he's like, well, no, I'm not making those. I don't even have the formulas anymore. And the general's kind of like, well, what if we did have them? Um, so at the end of issue three, uh, the the rogue Sandman, the bad Sandman that broke in, stole his journal uh, and everything, knocks Wesley out with his own gas. And so this issue opens up with uh, a bunch of double page spreads, which made for a very quick read. Of Wesley, or not finally, but experiencing of what the people experience when he knocks them out, and he starts to feel this dread and um, and uh, sense of doom, uh, and it goes through his history. Um, I'm gonna pull it up and go through because in in Rosmo fashion, it's kind of chaotic, but the chaos works because it's this dreamlike. Uh, state that he's in. And so as you kind of follow Wesley through the story, um, you follow these gas lines that Rosmo has, has put in, but um, it, it gets into his, his history and like uh, feeling bad as a kid for um, stealing from a, a guy selling chocolate, knowing that they could pay for it. Right. Um, and then standing by and letting a kid at his school get bullied because he was getting out for his, um, he was getting thrown out of the boarding school cause his parents were, weren't able to pay cause they went bankrupt. And, uh, Wesley starts to realize that this gas 
you know, not only does it show his uh, nightmares, but it it makes him empathetic. And that's where a lot of this bad feelings coming from is like the fact that he can look back at these moments and feel what the people, you know, what everyone else was feeling at the time. Um, and he says, these aren't memories, they're empathies. Uh, every offense, every hurt I've spoken or committed. And it's essentially him just, it's one of those things as, as you know, someone with anxiety like myself, where you end up dwelling on a lot of stupid things that, you know, for a fact, no one else remembers, but you end up torturing yourself. And it's almost like he's stuck in this state. And um, as he's remembering all of these things, um, he's falling through the page and he's following like this moth um, that is representative of, of, uh, uh, of the gas that's leading him on the way. Uh, and it ends up uh, him seeing the past, which he, he sees World War One, you know, which is the, the war that his dad fought in uh, to the present, which shows him, you know, uh, going on the adventures early on to the future. And we see, you know, zombie Sandman from Night Terrors, right? Fighting one of the, the um, what were those stupid things called? Were they the Sleepless Nights? Something oh, like that. Oh, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, it's not even been that long since that event, but I've already jettisoned that from my brain. <laughs> we're already trying to, right? And so he's like, yeah, I have a nightmare beast, you know, brought to, to life to a boy made of sand, right? And it shows Sandy. But in in that, his final, you know, when, when we thought Sandy had died where he turned into like a statue, right? Um, to visions that he can't even put words to. And it's it's the nuclear bomb going off. Uh, and then to the JSA, right? And he wonders if he can stop it from happening, where finally he ends up waking from the dream. Um, Diane's there, his girlfriend, and she tells him that he's been out for two days. And he's like, oh, my God, in two days, everything can go bad. They they have my, you know, gas formulas, and I got to go stop. Uh, I got to go stop them from putting these in production. I think I know who's behind all of this. And that's where he starts thinking that it was – uh, the general, right, who put someone up to this knowing what Wesley had. Um, and they think back to the dead body they'd found in, you know, that was essentially the pat, uh, the Patsy in his lab and in his house. And um, uh, he's like, no, that guy was a thug. He's not behind any of this. It's not him. There is a boss. And then it clicks with him that, the person who's probably responsible is his dad's friend, Wheeler Vanderlyle. Um, Wheeler, who set up the meeting with the general, the guy that's been getting Wesley onto his feet and kind of encouraging him to, to put the stuff into production. So he goes to knock on the door because that's where he's staying right now uh, while his house is being uh, fixed. And he goes to knock on the door. It's locked. He can hear something going on. And he knocks down the door and the the rogue Sandman is there attacking uh, Wheeler. Um, we see him without the mask on and he's missing an eye like he has a like an eye patch over it, but it looks fresh. Um, and uh, he knows uh, Dodds. So uh, Wesley grabs a lamp, chucks it at him. Uh, they have a struggle. And this is probably the best Rosmo art that I've seen because you can really follow the action through it in the fight scene. And it does kind of that old timey. Um, there's a smattering of, of panels 
and they're all at like Dutch angles, but they show each a different part of the fight. To finally, Wesley ends up kicking this guy through a window by accident because he's gotten too into his his feelings. And uh, the rogue Sandman tells him, you know, well, look at this pacifist now. Um, and uh, that's what ends up leading him to get kicked through the window is he pulls a knife on Wesley, cuts him. Uh, Wesley pushes forward. Uh, the rogue Sandman ends up landing on a taxi out the window. Uh, and uh, Diane comes running in, worried that he's bleeding. He goes, it's, it's fine. It's not deep. Um, he went after Vanderlyle to get to him um, because he came asking. Uh, this guy came uh, at demanding answers about Wesley Dodds. Um, and so Wesley tells Diane, you know, um, I, I know what all this is. And, you know, in order to figure this out, I'm going to have to commit treason. And then it shows what looks like a POW camp somewhere. Um, and it says uh, the tease is Sandman versus the U.S. Army. Uh, so, yeah, so it, it it's seeming to set up what leads Wesley into turning from this pacifist who's just fighting street crime to seeing what the bigger picture is eventually. And it's almost like the dream realm has chosen him like even before he was ready for it. So this is almost turning into like a, almost like a Wesley Dodds origin story in a way. Cause it's not like, yes, he's currently active, but he's not the superhero that, that we associate the, you know, with him as the character as a member of the JSA, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, Venditti's doing real good work. It, it definitely hits that, uh, you know, old school vibe, down to the dialogue and which some people might have a problem with because it seems wooden, but I feel like he's writing for the time period. So it's a lot of when he addresses his girlfriend, it's always like, Oh, Diane, we have to do this. And Diane, I have to, so it adds and to she's the like, shut up, Wesley. Yeah. Essentially like you need to get control of yourself. And uh, that was a joke. I was, I was quoting Picard telling Wesley Crusher to shut up. <laughs> really? Picard told him to shut up. He lost his cool. There is, yeah, there's, there's an episode where he says wow. shut up Wesley is, uh, I'm sure you can wow. find a gif or a clip of it yeah. if you really want wow. to but yeah so very very solid book and again this is the most I've enjoyed Rosmo's art and, and it's not for everybody however for Venditti it seems like he reins himself in because I feel like there's a camaraderie to tell this story that's set in a different era so he doesn't you know there's not a lot of the you know because sometimes I feel like his artwork looks like a caricature. Like his Harley Quinn book, you would look at some of that stuff and you're like, I get that's supposed to be Harley, but it's just off enough. Here, when he draws the Justice Society, they're all instantly recognizable, mm. right? So, uh, and just the, the fight scene with the rogue Sandman, just it looked really good. And there was a pop to it that I don't usually associate with Rosmo. So, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm glad I, I kept this going. And, it, and again, it, it added to this morning. I thought I would read it and fall back asleep, right? That's how <laughs> I ended up as I was up. And uh, Sandman did not put me out. So uh, here we are. Uh, so uh, I, will, I will give this a 7.5. All right. Yes. Okay. Well, I've got a Patreon book every month at patreon.com slash TV. At one of the higher tiers, you can make myself read a book. Uh, you can do so... Uh, like one person is making me read Batman and the Outsiders from the 80s the mm-hmm. original Outsiders book 
This is issue 10, specifically. Uh, we did have a cliffhanger last issue. It was uh, Black Lightning was wanted by the Masters of Disaster. Is that the team uh-huh. that, that Cole Snap's on? I, I believe so. Uh, I just, I'm realizing that I don't remember uh, what the name of the team was. I think it was Masters of Disaster. I'm, I'm pulling up the wiki for it now because this is every time you cover one of these, I pull up the wiki. Look out the cover issue nine because it said it on the cover yeah. the last issue. I'm sure it did. Um, but yeah, Cold Snap and New Wave and all those characters. Uh, we'll see if I remember any of the yep. other names. The Masters of Disaster. That's okay. I'll just make sure because there's it a lot was... of villain team names. It could have been another yep. one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so start of this issue, Black Lightning was handed over to the bad guys because. Uh, was it Shakedown was going to bring down a building. The team, Geoforce specifically, pissed at Batman. How could you make that choice? And Batman's like, I would take, I would give any of you up, including myself, to save innocent lives. And Halo turns to Katana and she's like, he's serious? And Katana's like, yes, he would make a good samurai. <laughs> so, so they all have different opinions on uh, how yeah. Batman's handling the situation. Yeah, Tatsu's not wrong there. <laughs> that man would make a, an excellent samurai. Oh Except yeah. Except for the killing part, he would he would never dispatch a guy in a duel. But no, you know. no, no. Yeah. Uh, so we go to the villains. Uh, Black Lightning's like chained up. Uh, he's like sort of waist deep in water. The idea being that uh, New Wave or whoever will will fry him if he tries to use his powers. Uh, so it turns out that so Black Lightning's felt guilty about killing an innocent person, right? Uh, and it's been that's been teased throughout the whole run so far. And basically, the parents of this girl hired the team to kidnap Black Lightning so they could kill him, execute him uh, in front of them. And this this mother comes in and says, you killed my daughter, do you remember? And he gets all solemn and says, yeah, I remember. And we see a flashback of what happened. Basically, there was some muggers on a, on a subway car. Uh, Black Lightning intervened and started fighting them. But when he punched the guy, his hand fired the gun he was holding and hit this girl. So it wasn't like a direct, you know, Black Lightning didn't zap her or anything like that. It was more of a just a, an accidental knock-on effect. But of course he felt guilty about it and he hung up his suit for good until Batman talked him into wearing it again. So he talks about how Black Lightning you know, died that day and he you know, he came back, but he didn't want to. And he says, you know, I know your name, your daughter's name was, uh, what was it? What was his name? Was it, was it Karen? I'm looking. Uh, Trina. It was Trina. Sorry. Trina. Uh, yeah. Trina Shelton. Um, and this is important though because when the the wife basically says, you know, you can't make up for what you did, but she goes back to speak to her husband, and she starts having all these second thoughts because she's like, he knew her name. He knew who I was. Like he, it's, it's not like this was an event that didn't matter to him. He tried to say he was sorry, and she sort of breaks down in tears in her husband's arms. Uh, so it really sets this idea up that they're. You know, they're, they're having second thoughts. Maybe they don't want to have him killed uh, like they thought they did. Um, although it sounds like it was more the wife. It sounds like the husband was never really that on board. He was just going through with it because the wife really wanted revenge. Um, so one of the villains, uh, Windfall, uh, who's sort of the blonde villain, she's like floating outside and Shakedown comes out with a little pot of flowers. And he's like, yeah, I got these for you, uh, Windfall. I thought you might like them. And then New Wave blasts him with water and says, get the hell away from my sister, you little shit. No no hulking man will be touching my little sister. So uh, we're setting up a, a protective relationship there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's just a bit of fun for the most part. 
Uh, although maybe it'll come up later. Maybe they'll do more stories with this team later and we'll, we'll get some more payoff to that. Uh, so Batman's plan to find Black Lightning, which he promised the others that he had, we get some matches Malone. And <laughs> not only that, we get matches Malone and his two mobster goons played by Geoforce and Metamorpho. <laughs> so they're in suits as well. And they go to this gangster to try and get intel on, on where Black Lightning is. Uh, the story that he's selling is that he wants to watch Black Lightning die because he's he's messed up some of his jobs in the past for him. And I actually didn't realize this right away, but this gangster was in the previous issue because there was a, a scene where the, the, the Masters of Disaster go to him for, for intel. So And they remind you of it here because uh, Matches Malone points out that there's a big uh, hole in the wall and that's from that last issue. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 that's a good... They did a good job of triggering my memory without getting too specific. I was like, oh, that was mm-hmm. neat. That was, that was good stuff uh, from, uh, from from Barr, who's, who's writing this. Um, so, yeah, uh, basically, they, they kind of pretend to be bad guys. They schmooze with the villains a little bit. Um, and Matches is ultimately taken to meet New Wave, who because they're being paid to let him watch the murder of Black Lightning, it takes him with, with them. Uh, Matches gets taken on like a plank of wood, basically, that New Wave just floats to wherever they're hiding. It turned, they're, they're, we actually already knew, but it turns out to the rest of the characters that they're hiding it on an oil rig. So, uh, Halo follows with her stealth tech. She's actually in the water. or she's Well, she pretends, she can project so that she, she appears to be in the water, but she's actually just flying overhead and follows them to this location. Um, you know, Black Lightning is set up to be killed. The rest of the Outsiders come uh, to the oil rig, as you'd expect. And we get some fun art here of them, like, breaking in. Um, Metamorpho's got, like, a, like the bottom of his body's like a screw. Like, he's come through the, the floor. Uh, it's all pretty typical stuff. The fighting's nothing necessarily that great. There is a fun moment where Batman dodges cold snaps like uh frost blast by like jumping over him and cold snap doesn't even know what's happened he, he ends up accidentally freezing new wave so she's like stuck in a tidal wave <laughs> kind of for a little bit so th- that's kind of good fun um the big dramatic thing here is that um after a bunch of fighting and, and we get a lot of pairs off like i don't even remember the names of some of the other villains but black lightning fights one of the villains metamorpho fights the uh uh, the, the windfall or not fights new wave sorry and actually because she's basically showering down in him acid rain she can do that it's not just water she can like actually create toxic water uh, and he is suffering because of that but he realizes that all he has to do to fight against it is turn into a substance that won't be affected by it so he turns into a glass uh, bubble basically and traps mm-hmm. her and she's like as soon as I go solid again you'll uh, you'll you'll suffer from this so he turns into a gas and lets her fall, and uh, it's basically just like a fun use of the powers and like how he fights someone with with kind of similar powers. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, the big dramatic thing is is that they try and kill Black Lightning before they make their escape to to fulfill the contract, and the mum of the daughter uh, jumps in front of the blast to protect Black Lightning. And I thought she died, actually. It turns out she doesn't, because they, they, they carry her away at the end, and she's clearly okay. But the idea being that you've got the her jumping in to save Black Lightning, she regrets asking to have him killed, and kind of creates a, a kind of a sweet ending of forgiveness uh, by the end. Um, 
Interesting little tidbit here, though, is that Windfall, like, could have taken out uh, Halo. Like, she was fighting Halo and had her surprised. Uh, she could detect that Halo was there even when she was invisible because she can detect changes in the wind. Okay, mm-hmm. fair enough. That's a cool power to have. Makes sense. Uh, but Halo says, yeah, she had me where she could have killed me, but she didn't. And she goes, I wonder why. And there's just a panel of Windfall smiling, which maybe suggests that she likes Halo, or maybe mm-hmm. she actually goes to school with Halo or something. Maybe they're going to reveal that she knows her or something. Either way, uh, interesting little tidbit breadcrumb for the future. Um, the cliffhanger at the end of the issue for next time is that a Japanese man has arrived with a katana uh, at the airport and they're inspecting the katana. He's declaring it to say that he's got it with them. It's an old antique. And he's like, oh, there's, 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 it's, there's only one other katana like this in the entire world. And of course, it's, it's the character katana's sword is the only other one like this. So it promises that next time we're getting the origin of Katana Part 1. Which is fun, because uh, I assume she was a relatively new character mm-hmm. here. Uh, this time. Maybe she was even new to this book, I don't know. It was her first appearance in The Outsiders. I can tell you in a second once I load this. Go on then. Yeah, let's see. First appearance, where's it at? I saw uh, the brave, yep, brave and the bold two hundred. So that was the yeah, first... that's the first, yeah, that's the first outsider story. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this is legitimately the first time they're doing her origin. So this was, yep. this is a big deal. This is them actually explaining. So they've done a little bit with Halo, and now they're building up Katana. That's uh, kind of neat. I wonder how much of this was a reaction to the the X Men stuff that was going on at the time, right? Because you had you had the the uh, was it the the new X Men, and that's where well, they brought in like Colossus and Nightcrawler and. Um and all of that. So I wonder how much of giving Batman these international. Well, you're, new no, you're thinking of Uncanny X Men. New X Men was much later. Uncanny X Men was the one that. So Uncanny X Men was an mm-hmm. answer to Teen Titans because New Teen Titans was right. doing well. So they brought back okay. X Men as Uncanny X Men, and that's where they okay. introduced a lot of those characters, those second generation X Men. Yeah, I uh, mean that's where you had Storm and Colossus yeah. and Nightcrawler. And, so yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't know. If maybe Batman the Outsiders is like a sort of response back. Where maybe if there was like a yeah. second X Men book, they thought, oh, we can do another team book. That yeah, kind of. Because it, it just feels having this international, right? You have, you have Geoforce, you have yeah. Halo, who's new, you have, you have um, Tatsu, the, um, why am I trying to like, on her name? Oh, sorry, I, I said that there will be around. Teen Titan, new Teen yes. Titans was a reaction to X-Men. So, Unca- right. Uncanny X-Men was the end of the 70s. That was first. Sorry, I, I said that there will gotcha. be around. Ignore, okay. ignore me. <laughs> eh, gotcha. But yeah, so just the fact that you have uh, uh, have all of this. Anyway, so it, what, what I was getting at the end there, though, was that Oh, there's multiple X-Men books, so we can have more team multiple. books. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, it could be. It definitely feels like maybe like maybe this is their version of the New Mutants or something. I don't yeah. know. Uh, I've never read the classic New Mutants stuff, so I don't know how much that... Uh, I don't even know if New Mutants has started by this point. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there as an ancillary X-Men book. Uh, yeah. But, but it just it was weird having all of these new characters that they could now you know stuff that you know like again we we've seen Katana's origin so many times but this is the first time that it's going to happen, uh so yeah uh, it's just it's crazy to think of how much of a short time that was from the late seventies up to the late eighties right uh, like this decade where all these characters start popping up yeah yeah and a lot of them have stuck around meaning they did a good mm-hmm. job of making them established and mm-hmm. sticking to them and 
fleshing them out over time. Whereas there's so many characters that get introduced that you know almost instantly mm-hmm. in a year's time they're going to not talk about them anymore and then we're yeah. going to forget they ever existed and that happens. Right? You know, it happens a lot. Uh, and don't get me wrong, making new characters that are going to stick is hard. I'm not you yeah. know, faulting a- anything there, but it is interesting that uh, you know, Katana is still used today, still talked mm-hmm. about today. Uh, so that's cool. It's cool. It's cool to see the origin of some of these characters. Yeah. So I'm glad, no, I'm yeah. glad I'm reading this. Uh, this was a a fun issue. It was probably more like more of like a seven, um, just because some of the the, the action felt a little bit just by the numbers. Although there was a couple of fun moments, um, and I did appreciate the more emotional side to the story. And it was fun seeing the matches Malone stuff, but um, didn't maybe quite hit as hard as some of the other issues or. Had had his like wacky ideas as some of the others. Like I think last issue was a lot of fun seeing like all the masters of disaster be introduced and all their power sets and they're, they're kind of kooky characters uh, mm-hmm. because they're already establishing this one. It was you know not all of them got as much focus. I mean Cold Snap's barely in this one. He fires a blast at Batman and says "Let's go team" at one point, and that's like it. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, there you go. That's my that's my Patreon book for for this episode. Uh, and that'll bring us on to the final part of the show where we pick our favourite stuff of the week favourite panel slash moment, favourite cover favourite art and of course top 5 books and I, there was only 5 new books I read this week so uh, yeah. all of them will be appearing in some fashion Matt what is your panel slash moment of the week okay um, there's some good ones in action I, I did like you know all hopped up Bizarro when he shows up to Superman he can just tell something's off Sandman had a couple with that dream realm uh, and then the fight scene between Sandman and the rogue Sandman. But mine's going to be from Titans and uh, from Beast World. Uh, and, and it's going to be when uh, when John takes on, when he comes and sees the Kaiju Giganta bear. Mm. Uh, and it just looks like complete and total chaos and destruction. It looks like something from a Godzilla movie uh, that... And not just because there's a gigantic bear, but, you know, <laughs> about about 60% is that reason. But, yeah. Yeah, I th- there's a few things I could pick. I could pick the funny moment from uh, Outsiders with the Perils because it's kind of on brand. Mm-hmm. But I- I'll probably go with Beast World as well, although I, I think I will just go with um, the-, the transformation of Giganta into the bear. Mm-hmm. Just that moment of realizing what we're doing was just such a fun kind of beat. Yeah, I'll-, I'll-, I'll go with that. Uh, that said, though, shout out to the moment where John's been hit towards the building and he's yeah. worried that he's going to hit someone. That was also really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, all right, uh, cover of the week. I was looking while you were talking about uh, mm-hmm. Sandman. Um, there's a fun action comics covered by Jimenez where it's uh, Lois and, and Superman. It's kind of fun. Yep. Um, there's a Batman and Robin covered by Jorge Molina, which is quite moody and just, you know, it's all these greys and reds. Really quite nice. Uh, my pick's going to be Green Lantern, though. Um, I There's one that I really like by Doc Shainer, a variant, but I'm actually going to go with the variant by Jorge Fornes, which is just like the Green Lantern glove and the fist and the, the ring, yep. and it's got the, the sort of the, the, the pop art style uh, yep. and the green. It just looks really nice. It's got the old paperback style book cover kind of damage around the, the edges. It just mm-hmm. It's really simple and effective, so I just really like that one a lot. Yeah. That one's just solid. Um, I do like that Shainer variant too it's got kilowog and, and hal mm-hmm. on there and it's in that um style uh but there's a a wesley dodd sandman funkervilla 
variant. Oh, okay. Very nice. Completely, complete moody. Like it looks fantastic. There's also a Lemire. If you like Jeff Lemire's art, he did a variant as well. Uh, and it's, it's very much Lemire. Like you just look at it and know, uh, but mine's going to be an action comic variant. And there was a ton of them. Um, I like the one that Pete had already mentioned, the, the Jimenez. Uh, but I like the, the Paolo Rivera uh, variant that's got Bizarro looking like he's holding up something, but he's actually upside down. So, like, the rest of Metropolis is upside down. You see Superman. Um, it's just kind of this is the Bizarro that I enjoy, the kind of more goofy one. And just the, the softer colors and uh just like there's softer edges on the art that make bizarro not look so freakish uh mm. that's gonna be mine all right cool uh art of the week oh lucas meyer beast world yeah like it's it's not even like he's he's been a revelation and i can't wait to see what other books he gets after this oh, revelation yeah i mean it is mm-hmm. lucas meyer for me as well i do think tim's is solid uh yep. as is kamesha on uh batman and robin man. But yeah, it's just Meyer. I think it's easily my my winner for this week. Uh, I have no complaints. All right, top five of the week, Matt. All right, uh, it's going to be Titans Beast World, and then it's going to be Outsiders, and then Action Comics, then Sandman, then Green Lantern. But they're all really bottlenecked around the same score. Hmm. So one to five, there's not much of a, a gap. Yeah, number one is easily Beast World for me. And then... I th- yeah, I think from there you're looking at prob- probably Green Lantern at number two, Outsiders at number three, and then four Batman and Robin and five Action Comics. So, there you go. Uh, I will now tell you, everyone, what is coming from DC Comics next week on the show. Uh, we have Nightwing... I say well. I say on the show. We don't do all the books. You know what I mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the DC books yes. are coming out. What's uh, coming up? Uh, Nightwing 110, we got Batman Superman World's Finest 23, Superman issue 10, we have Titans issue 7, Wonder Woman issue 5, Catwoman 61, Superman Lost 10, Justice League vs. Godzilla vs. Kong 4, Green Lantern War Journal issue 5, Jay Garrick The Flash issue 4, John Constantine Hellblazer Dead in America issue 1, and there's a Justice League Godzilla Kong Supersized Monster Edition number 1. So that's obviously a, a reprint of sorts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, healthy enough week um, next week. Um, I'm sure Matt loves the Superman Cowboy cover. Uh, I do. It's yeah, yeah. yeah. You're you're an easy man to predict. I'm not going to lie. I am, but I also have a Nightwing uh, meme cover. Oh yeah, uh, it's the uh, the angry woman yelling at cat. <laughs> uh-huh. And then Damien's the cat because as we saw in the the last. Uh, backup that, that he got hit by a, a yeah, spore. The, Nightwing and Titans obviously are both Beast World tie-ins next week, uh, mm-hmm. but I'm looking forward to both, so that's fun. Okay, so this this Constantine book is a sequel to the last Cy Spurrier Constantine that I didn't read, so I don't I don't feel bad not checking it out. I thought it was something new. Oh sure, but I mean it's got the Sandman universe bar, bar yeah. at the top, so I was never going to look at it just because I've not read any of those. So yeah. But I thought maybe give it a try because I, I have a new appreciation for Constantine from some of these other books. Uh, and I've heard good things about that last one. But the fact that it's a follow-up, that would be like jumping into the second part of Deceased and having not read the first. Yeah. So, you know, I'm uh, not going to do that. But yeah, Superman, uh, 
Uh, curious to see where that goes because it's Scott Clark in the Old West. So yeah. I'm not. I'm, I didn't yeah. like that yeah. ending. And then and then Wonder Woman's been fantastic. So oh, it's been fun. Uh, always, it's probably going like, to be the best book of the week. Probably. And that cover. I'm I'm a big fan of this cover. It's very well. Uh, it's got a nice sense of like how stuff's divided up, like spacing, I guess, on the page. So uh, a yeah. nice layout, you might say. Thank you. I'm I'm very thirsty. Uh, I've been trying to drink. Yeah, so I'm a bit dehydrated, probably from the cold. You don't drink as much water when you do stuff like outside, right? Like like normally, if it was a warmer day, we'd have stopped for water breaks. But because it was thirty something degrees, mm. uh, so I probably need to maybe get some Gatorade in me too. So we'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, that is the show, everyone. That has been the episode. We'll see you again next week for more DC Comics discussion. You can, of course, help mm-hmm. us out by hitting the like button if you're on YouTube. It helps out a bunch. More people will find the show. And, of course, you can rate us five stars on your uh, podcast app of choice. Uh, it does help a bunch. And as mentioned a couple times, there's a Patreon. Patreon.com slash TV helps keep the show coming. You get a little bit early access. Uh, so go and Let's see if you can uh, support us over there. But that is us. So thank you once again for watching or listening. We always appreciate it. Keep reading DC Comics and remember to never get lost in the Speed Force.